Okay, hello, welcome, bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao, jambo, marhaba. It's time for the Army Inquisition yet again, episode 245 on Sunday, the 28th of August, 2022. I'm Amish Phil. I'm Amish Ben. No, I'm Amish Ben. Okay, so it's, <laughs> did, did that get stuck in the internet pipes? Really? Not very, not very sharp there, off the get-go there, Matt. Did it now? No. <laughs> you fucking, you're messing with us, aren't you? <laughs> No? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That's what we need, laggy internet. Excellent. Um, Never mind. Uh, it'll be fine. And uh, tonight we are joined with our returning guest, Bernie Taylor, uh, author, naturalist, uh, RKO astronomer. Is that an accurate description, Bernie? That's pretty good. I love it. Excellent. Cool. Ha- happy to be back again. Yeah, it's been too long. We were saying it was uh, what did what was it, Matt? One hundred and thirty something. One hundred thirty-six. Right. So again, yeah, two two years ago, roughly. And um, yeah, it's good to have you back. And I must say, your uh, your recent YouTube video is excellent. Like, um, it's uh, I don't know whether it was like the the voice or the, the something to do with the production quality. It just sort of uh, I was really impressed by it. <laughs> Was it your voice? It's not. Of course, it's not my voice. Oh, no, you're supposed to say, yeah, of course it's my voice. <laughs> it's like uh, you, you pinch that guy who does the trailers for the movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've got, um, well, I'm doing videos in multiple languages, in French, Spanish, uh, Dirija, which is Moroccan, um, Arabic, as well as English, um, and a few others. So, yeah. yes, I have to have other voices mm. that are not mine. As, no, but, I mean, um, there's. Uh, it seems to me there's a real hunger on YouTube for the sort of content that you're doing and the sort of research you're doing. We were mentioning a few other YouTubers that, we've, that we know of or have been on our show before we started. And would you agree? Is this sort of, do you think there's a boom in this sort of area? Yeah, absolutely. I did a... Uh, so my, my YouTube channel is um, beforeorion.com. It's all spelled out. People can go look at it. But I did one for, I did a cooperation with Ancient Geographic a few weeks ago. And he has about 9,000 subscribers, does good stuff. His typical, his typical um, production ran, you know, one to 2,000 after a few months. And mine was at eight or 9,000 in two, three weeks. Wow. And so and so he was doing s- sort of similar type of content, but he didn't have the the images that I give and the the your very unique narrative because 
uh, you know, some people can say, well, this birdie's on the fridge and other people can say he's on the cutting edge. You know, it's two sides of the same coin, mm. but yes. So the people are hungry for this, this sort of genre of where do we come from? Where do we go? Where, you know, where, who are we and where do we go from here? Cause you, you can't see your future unless you know your past. That's a great point. And uh, I think what's unique about your take is the way you sort of, uh, I remember from the last time we talked and, and with your book as well, the way you draw uh, mythology and the work of Joseph Campbell and, you know, modern art as well, like the, the trying to find the correlations between moral art, uh, modern art and, and ancient art as well. And I think that's that's pretty unique for, for what you do. Yeah, absolutely. In this world of sort of archaeology, anthropology um, and astronomy, Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung don't exist. It's, it's just, it's just not a thing. And so people believe that they dig something up or they see something in the night sky and they've, you know, invented something, they've discovered something, whatever it is. But what Jung said, it's all in our collective unconscious. Um, and what Joseph Campbell said is that that collective unconscious is projected through the stories that we tell. And he called, um, he referred to a, a singular myth that all comes from is the monomyth, which is James Joyce actually came up with the word, but we'll give it Joseph Campbell for popularizing. And he said, there's, there's this monomyth, there's one story within us all that we carry, we've carried with us around the world because it's the story of our existence. It's the story of the personality types within us, which um, Jung called archetypes. And this monomyth, um, from what I remember, isn't Star Wars, Star Wars what's it called? George Lucas? Didn't yeah, he, wasn't he uh, sort of inspired by Joseph Campbell? Yeah, so um, George Lucas read The Hero of the Thousand Faces, which was um, Joseph Campbell's major work. And you find that in middle schools and high schools in the United States. And he modeled the Star Wars saga after that, unbeknownst to Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell didn't know that the his this modern myth was projected into the Star Wars movies until after a few of them came out. And then George Lucas invited him over to the big screen in his home for drinks and a movie. And he's like, whoa, this is what I do. <laughs> and the characters, this is now this is my call, right? The characters in Star Wars, um, oh, um, Yoda is Carl Jung. I mean, it just looks like him, it sounds like him, moves like the whole thing. And then Obi-Wan becomes, um, then Obi-Wan becomes George Lucas. I'm sorry, because Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell becomes Obi-Wan. And then the, the, the Padawan under them is um, George Lucas, who is Luke Skywalker. Ah. Okay. So the, the, this, so this is, this is for the mind of Bernie Taylor. It may or may not be true. It's, you know, we're either on the cutting edge or on the fringe, but God, it, it's right in line right there. So Joseph Campbell was, was telling the story from his great hero, um, um, Carl Jung as um, Joseph, as George Lucas learned from, from Joseph Campbell. And so, yeah, we, we, we keep telling the same stories. You can go around the world. You find these, these great myths that have very similar characters. And there's, there's a hero, there's a demon, there's a damsel in distress. There's some sort of um, fierce animal they overcome, whether it be a dragon or a lion. And the hero goes on his journey and he, first he doesn't want to go on his journey. Um, and then he, he does, and he's assisted by different amulets and spirits and different stuff. And he comes to ultimately face himself or herself. Um, and then returns home to tell the story to set society free. Everybody fundamentally tells that same 
great story. And Joseph and uh, Young said, it's because it's part of who we are. We, whether or not we go on this great hero's journey where we, you know, travel across seas and, and, you know, dance through the stars, we have this, this same, the same experiences on a more modest scale in our own lives. You know, we, we leave the family and we leave our mother and father behind, we go off to college and go to work. We go to war. And then we, you know, we, we've answered the call. And that's fundamentally what that's about. And I say that this is not, as young would have young said is that this is not something in the modern age or even the ancient times. This goes back to the core of who we are. And therefore it is the meaning of our existence itself. Wow. So yeah, like the Star Wars thing is when Luke's on on the farm on on the, the Lars homestead mm-hmm. and he he gets the call to adventure. He wants to join the rebellion. This thing that he's he- heard about and he's seen he sees himself as living in this backwater planet, doesn't he? With two sons. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's really it. Yeah. And we all take that. We all take that um, that hero's journey and somewhere or another. And if we if we fail to answer the call. You spend the rest of your life in your parents' basement mm. um, playing video games. And there's nothing wrong with spending time at home living with your family. But if you never get a job and you never go to school, you never do anything but sit in your parents' basement, you've, your life has ended right there because you failed to answer any sort of a call. Do you think um, the, uh, like, if, if we went back, say, 40,000 years when we were living sort of hunter gatherer uh, society in small clans, that sort of thing, do you think that? that call to adventure narrative would have been used then to sort of encourage young adults to go out and explore and maybe try and contact or intermarry with other local tribes, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So in, um, today we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do like 12 to 18,000 years ago, but in other work, most of my presentations prior to six months ago were based on 34, 40,000 years ago. And in that time period, most half of the Greek constellations were actually um, observed, formed, and given mythological characters. And in the, in that story, you have um, a boy who is hurt, who is Orion. He goes on this journey and he travels through the night sky and he encounters different animals along the way. And the first one he encounters is, is a is an eagle, which is the constellation Aguilar. He encounters a horse, which is Pegasus. Combined together, gives the Pegasus wings, and he goes on this journey and he. Um, he, he, he fights the, the a lion, which becomes the Nimian lion in Greek mythology, and so many different characters. And all these are constellations in the night sky in the exact same order as we have them inherited to us today. So people were around the campfires, and they were looking at the night sky, and they, they knew where they were in time and space by looking at these constellations. They knew what seasons it were. They knew geographically where they were because each of the animals depicted on the, in the cave, cave art for that time period also designates the place. So the, the, there's a giraffe, therefore the, you're in Africa. Um, there's a lion with a mane, you're in Africa. There's a Iberian lynx, which is different from a caracal, which is an African lynx. Um, so you're an Iberian Peninsula. There's yeah. all these distinct animals that told them where they were, and it, but it's also this narrative. And this, you know, this is, you know, I'm a guy's guy. This is kind of a guy's guy podcast, right? Okay. But um, I'll explain. One thing happens in this narrative is that as the hero takes his journey and he goes through all these constellations of animals, all those animals except the lion are female. Really? And so he gained. 
he gains the strength of the female, the the female side um, on his journey, and when he returns back again, he becomes this Hercules, the constellation Hercules, and Hercules is a huge constellation, yeah. and how Hercules is on this panel is overlaps all the other constellations, so that when he returns as the you know the the, the, the complete man in Hercules at the end of his journey. He's encapsulated all the female energies in him. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Joseph Campbell didn't know that, but he, I mean, this narrative, I just explained it, but he recognized that in mythologies around the world. Um, And he said that it was always the, the the female support. It was always in supportive role of the male. Um, But in the Jungian sense, you would say that the male and the female become the complete whole. Someone wrote a book. It was, it was a female mythologist, something like that. And she wrote a book about how Joseph Campbell was a sexist. <laughs> okay. Cause he doesn't talk about female heroes, but she completely <sighs> missed the point. Yeah. She completely totally missed the point is that the, the complete man is the one who has both the male and female energies. Um, and that's the, the essence of being a, um, a guy's guy in a more, a more complete world. Well, she'll be happy now because all the heroes are female. It seems over the last couple of years. Well, well, all the Disney heroes are female, yeah. So, and and it, it's awesome. You got Moana, right? The Hawaiian hero. You got Mulan, the the Chinese hero. Uh, there's no more Cinderellas and Snow Whites and all that stuff anymore. Um, but it, it's cool because these the hero archetype, in some sense, is developed around the the social the social structure of the time. And, you know, many moons ago for, for a very long time, it was the male was the dominant character uh, in, in society and the women managed the home, but by managing the home, she also managed the, the development of the, of the boys and girls until they reach a certain age. But in the, it, but the, the pale of the cave art tells us that they recognize that to be the complete person you just can't be, you know, the, the guy with a club banging someone on the head. Um, you have to be able to listen to other people. You have to care for your, tr- your clan. You have to do many things, be, you know, yeah, the t- and you can still be a guy's guy. Well, it's like the 12 tasks. I mean, the, it's not all slaying, is it? There's like uh, sweeping up, clearing the stables and stuff like that going on, isn't there? The 12 yeah, tasks of Hercules, that is. Absolutely, yeah. And the labor. So the, the only slaying in the upper pillar of cave art that we see of the, of the hero is of the lion and it's, it becomes the Nimian lion. All the other one, he, he, the hero merges with the animal. So the hero merges with the horse to become like a centaur, merges with the, the eagle, become a, a bird man, right? Or merges with the, with the, I mean, it really is merges with the, the female giraffe and hides behind the neck of the giraffe emerges with the the female whale and actually is in the belly of the whale what also becomes the the Jonah and the whale's story um so a- absolutely it's a um so yes it, it it has come around to get again in a in a, a more modern sense my daughter's a, a going to be senior in college and you know she's she is of I would say she's a fully integrated person. Um, and she, she loves sports. She rock climbs. She, but she's also a scientist at school and she has girlfriends and, you know, friends that she hangs out with. So she's that, um, 
and that is that is the benefit that we have of um, Mulan and Moana and all the other modern Disney female heroes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's room for everything. There's room for yeah. Well, I got to tell you a story because this is a really creative creativity story. I'm so I'm fifty, almost fifty-seven now. Get away! And when I was in my late twenties, late twenties, I went on a um, bachelor party trip. Here this we is go. Oregon. So, okay, <laughs> so this is so I put it out to the audience. I live in Portland, Oregon, which is on the the west coast of the United States or northwest of the United States. And this bachelor party was um, a, a float down a river called the John Day, and John Day is high desert. You know, it's real hot, except for the water that's cold. And we floated for three days down the river. We had two two, two rafts. And, um, you know, so you, you can imagine what, you know, first day of a bachelor party. How does it go, right? We know how it goes, right? Um, you know, we went fishing. We drank a lot of beer. We got dehydrated. Day two, we're just like, you know, one is us over and we have a lot of miles left on the river. Like a lot of miles left on the river. Okay. This sounds very we're, familiar. We're, yeah, like, and, and we're looking at the, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at the mountains as we go by. because This is kind of a deep canyon sort of thing. And there's a mountain that looks like a naked woman. And uh, so I wasn't the first one to recognize it, but I was certainly by the second or the third. And then someone said, God, that looks like a naked woman. And so another, yeah, I saw that too. And what we were looking at was paradoia in the mountain of a naked woman. It looked like a naked woman. Now we got back to, we, you know, you know, ultimately we got back home <laughs> and we all survived no rattlesnake bites and all that sort of stuff. And uh, someone looked up the map and turned out it was called Squaw Mountain, Squaw Mountain. And that's what you know, the Indian woman was called by, you know, white guys, yeah. Squaw Mountain. And the, it was, that's an Indian, it was an Indian named mountain because all the other mountains that are named by white people are named after, you know, generals, colonels, whatever <laughs> that killed Indians. I mean, that is yeah. the predominant strain of the mountains in the Pacific Northwest. They're all Indian killers. My daughter went to elementary school, Ewing Young Elementary School, and he was a blatant Indian killer, killer without any reason for it. And he became a, you know, this pioneer hero. So this is a thing. And, um, so it's so anyway, this 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 mountain was called Squaw Rock or Squaw Mountain. And we we all recognize the same pareidolia because it sort of jumped out to us. Now, a chimpanzee can't see that same pareidolia. You know, we could have had you know, a bunch of chimpanzees in the in the raft with us, rafts with us and they wouldn't have they wouldn't have seen it. They could have got drunk as hell, dehydrated as much as we were, but they were never going to see Squaw Mountain or as, as we saw Squaw Mountain. Um, so there's something that separates us from chimpanzees and other animals that we can see paradoia. And from that paradoia, we can recognize figures that make sense to us. I was going to say, um, parad- the term paradoia is probably alien to most of us and most of us listening. So you should probably um, explain what that actual effect Absolutely. is and how it works. So how it works, and there's a part of our brain that sees that mountain, and it finds recognizable characters within that, even if the characters are not real. When we look at the night sky, we see most of us can, can see, if you look at Orion, it kind of looks like a man or a woman. It looks like a human form, but it's not a man 
or woman or any type of human form. It's our unique ability to make patterns in the unreal. We look at the, we look at the clouds and you know, some people might see a horse. Some people might see a bunny. There's no horses and there's no bunnies in the clouds. Um, but that's something you, you, that is the power. That is paradoia in itself. Now, Picasso, Picasso said something about paradoia uh-huh. and um, he said, it occurred to man to create his own images. It's because he discovered them in the world around him, almost formed already within his grasp. He saw them in a bone, in the irregular surfaces of cavern walls, in a piece of wood. One form might suggest a woman, another a bison. What Picasso is saying is that art itself came from paradoia. So people saw Squaw Mountain and then reproduce Squaw Mountain. Great. So it's people, like the inspiration. It's like, oh, oh, that's a representation of a human that's occurred in nature. Maybe I can create my own. Exactly. Now, Picasso also said he saw that in the cavern walls. So he saw a crack in the cavern walls and he said, well, that kind of looks like a mountain. That kind of looks like a deer. And he said that the, the cave artists founded art by finishing the, the lines in the crack to make other animals. So the origins of creativity, according to Picasso, is founded in paradoia, which is unique to us. Now, for the for the listeners out there, we're going to for the audio listeners, we're going to throw four or five slides up and I'm going to describe the slides. You can go on the YouTube channel to see them or you can just kind of like, you know, just hang. So we're going to drop the first one is slide five. Slide. Yeah, it's a slide five. Okay. Now, slide five is an image most people are familiar with. Actually, well, half of it is. Half of the images is Les Demoiselles de Avignon. Um, they're uh, five half-naked women, suitable for our conversation tonight, um, pre and the podcast itself. not sure that one in the top right is a woman, is it? It's like well, you, it's so like you Ben. <laughs> so they have masks on. Now, two of these women have clear masks on. And it was always a question of where Picasso got the masks from. And many people say he stole, you know, his, he stole them from a museum or his friend stole a museum, the Louvre actually. And, um, but no one, no one has ever been able to show the masks that Picasso used on the faces of these, these two women. Um, and this late Demoiselle Avignon also has a sort of like jagged kind of rocky stuff behind him as if you're in a cave. Yeah. Now the other image that the, the audience can look at um, that you've probably never seen is from the Altamira cave. And if you go online, the Altamira cave 30, 35,000 years ago. And there are two irregularities in the rock that the cave artists touched up with black charcoal. And by the ch- black charcoal then makes these fate, these masks or faces of ho- horses, apparently, because it's kind of elongated, and those 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 um, touched up truck, touched up irregularities on the cave wall in Altamira are exactly the same as the two masks that Picasso has in his Les Demoiselles de Avignon. Now, Les Demoiselles de Avignon is a very significant image painting, I should say. It's it's a Museum of Modern Art in, in New York right now. You can find it online everywhere. But it, it was Picasso's break from traditional art, and it is indistinguishable as the the start, the rupture moment for modern art. Okay. So there this style became cubism, um, which is ever everywhere now. Mm-hmm. And it's 
But Picasso, we can see that he he lifted, and that, by the way, he never gave credit to credit to the cave artists, but he literally lifted these two masks and put them on the two characters in Lady Avignon to um, create this incredible moment. Now, one of Picasso's good friends, I mean, I'm not saying like every is good friends and every is friends, you know, okay? not really friends. And his, one of his good friends said, one, one day we're going to find Picasso has hung himself behind his great canvas. Uh, because was, this was so far out there that um, it was, it was just so disruptive and it was so gasoline. It was so gory in a way. It made no sense that what could the future of this be? And the future is the past, yeah. the past that Picasso, the quote we had from. Now he's, he was Spanish, wasn't he? And Altamira is in Spain, isn't it? I mean, was he, was he known to have, have visited these places? So, so Picasso was Spanish um, from the south of Spain. Um, as an adult, he spent most of his life in France. Oh. And he was known to visit caves. And as soon as a cave opened up, Picasso was in there. Um, and uh, in terms of Altamira, he was known to be there. And in fact, he was known to be there just a year or two before Les Demoiselles Avignon was painted. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, how so how did Picasso get there? Well, the, the cave was actually, um, I don't want to say discovered, but it was opened up in the late 1800s. And uh, there was some question that it was fraud because the idea was caveman couldn't create these incredible images. Mm. Yes. And there was also... And, but the problem was there were animals in there that were you know, had been extinct in in Europe a long long time ago, um, and apparently they knew before humans had been there. And there was uh, there was also the question of why is there no soot on the ceiling of Altamira? How, <laughs> how did they? They had torches, didn't they? Battery power. No. So, so well, so well, well, if you had if you're, if you're heating up. Um, um, oil, if you're heating up wood um, or, you know, straw or something, you'd have soot on the top of the ceiling. And there was a movie about this called Finding Altamira starring Antonio Banderas, who also played Picasso in a series on, um, made by Ron Howard. And in the, in the, in the, in the Finding Altamira, the, they figure the, the family that, so I made this discovery, if we're going to call it that, figures out how they did it. But after he's, after the, the hero of the story is like totally, you know, thrown out the window, you know, disparaged. And it was as they, if you heat bone marrow, if you heat bone marrow, it doesn't give soot. Wow. So, and, uh, did they and use, so it was bone marrow. And what did they use that for the, for torches as well? A candle, wouldn't it? Well, they didn't use it. Well, they could, they, they didn't use it for torches was because what they did is they had these, and we, we have the, the archaeological evidence of these like wooden spoons or we have wooden spoons and we have shells that they would have melted it in. And they walked around like this sort of thing. Right. Um, so yes. So the, we can, why there's no soot is because they're burning the bone marrow. Um, and so Picasso comes out, Picasso came out of the cave. Well, he first, he was sent into the cave to see if they were fakes you know, maybe because it's a pretty small art world, right? And and he came out and he said, none of us could have done anything like this. So that means none of he or any of his friends were making art like this. Um, and so the it was a completely different 
style, a different look. And uh, before before this, Picasso was doing you know a boy in the field holding the reins of a horse, um, and then pretty much everybody was doing something like that. Um, and then you jump to late demos audio, which is just like this rupture moment. It's absolutely you know it's just nutty and hang himself behind the canvas. So Picasso comes out and he says, none of us could have done anything like this. And so, but what, what's important about this, this Picasso and the, and the origin of creativity is that Picasso recognized that it was the irregularities in the rocks that they founded the images from. That it was paradoia. He didn't use the word powder, but it was the paradoia that, that it jumped. It, it's the rocks spoke to the, the artists and from them, they, they gave it life. And wow. that's so Picasso never the rest of his life. Picasso never tells where he the source for the masks were. And he used other masks from Altamira in other paintings. Um, and he uses other characters um, from from upper cave art in in paintings as well so he was he was a was he a forger um, well copyright must expire after about thirty thousand years doesn't it yeah so the copyright does expire what what was he in uh yeah i don't see a signature on in that cave yeah exactly yeah no yeah so it's kind <laughs> of a yeah it's it's a uh it's a tough call and picasso never you know he died 30 million dollars in his name or something and he you know that's how he made his money he was a businessman he was not. He had. He was not an academic who had any any obligation to, to cite his sources. <laughs> wow! But as you know, me and my buddies were years ago. It was long, you know, I was a young young days. You know, the bad old days, floating down the river on this bachelor party. Um, you know, we we saw what Picasso saw because we're human. We're not chips, and we have that ability. Yeah. That's great. Hey, wonderful. Yeah. So that's the, that's the little bit of Picasso. Mm -hmm. And um, now there's, there's another image you guys going to pop up now. And it is number 35. Whoa. <laughs> so, so we're jumping, you know, we're jumping like through seasons. And this is for the. I'm going to describe this for the for the listening audience. Mm. Yeah. So we have a a mountain in Spain called Pico Panamera, and Pico Panamera is also called the Little Matterhorn because it, when it, when you see it from a different perspective, it looks like um, the Matterhorn in the Alps, and it also makes the local mountain climbers feel good that they climb into the Matterhorn. <laughs> um, and then next to that image, you have a a bear. Um, a bear with a cub on its head. And that's, this is an actual cave art image from La Chimeneas cave in the North of Spain, which is um, close to Altamira. I mean, you could walk it in a few days. Right. And is and, that, and, is that and, mountain close by as well? Uh, the mountain is about, uh, yes, yeah, within, you could walk it within a week. Yeah. Um, especially fit guys like you, you know, you guys could do it. Um, so yes, the mountains when the week walk. And, and then there's another image. The third image is actually an outline drawing of the, the cave art image. So you can see the actual characters and you can see this, this cub on the top of the mother bear's head. There's a little bird in the front. Yes. Okay. I can see it so, now. So you can see it now. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it's actually pretty cool. And so we're looking at it and the cave art image has a lot of, um, white around it. And so it's depicting sort of snow. 
right? Uh, <laughs> gives that, that feel of it. Now we can compare the cave art image to the mountain Pico Panamera, and they're almost identical. In fact, you got the, the, the muzzle of the bear, and you almost got the features of that, that cub on top of the head. So a few, there's a few possibilities here. One possibility is that aliens um, saw the cave art images and they, this image, and they went to the mountain and carved it out with lasers. Solved. That right. Was, End of podcast. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much. Yeah. Move yeah. on. That, Which slide are we going to now? Possibility. Is it? And these oh, are uh, ancient aliens. These would be prehistoric aliens. New, new series for a show, right? Prehistoric <laughs> aliens. Okay. So that is one possibility. Okay. Did they build Another that house as well? Yeah, exactly. An- another possibility is that the cave artists saw the saw the mountain. The mountain was important to the cave artists because it looked like a bear and with a cub on top of the head. And then the cave artists said, well, you know, um, why don't I put that onto the wall of this cave? I'm just going to pick any spot and, you know, any wall, fresh spot, like a canvas, I'm going to put it on there. That's a second possibility. So in more, you know, we, you know, had my friends and I, we came back and we, you know, we could have stretched out Squaw Mountain, right? I mean, that would have been possibility too. Now there's a third possibility that the cave artist was familiar with it, was familiar with that important uh, Pico Panamera looking at as a bear with a cub on top of his head and then was searching in the cave and looked for a similar image, similar geometry in the rocks that could had the you know the appearance of that mountain, so that the, the cave artist was looking for pareidolia in the same way that Picasso found it at, at Altamira. He, he was looking for you know rough features, wasn't identical, and then he fills in the rest. And the fill in the rest on this particular image image is um, you've got a bunch of black lines, um, you've got the white on it, um, and um, you got some some brown paint, right? And uh, so the the artist found the terrestrial world in the cave itself. Can I um, ask? Sorry, yeah, Bernie. Can I pause a hypothetical? Sure. Can we imagine um, a lad who grew up at Pica Mana Malaria? Yep. If you say it quick in Spanish, no one can tell the difference. Pica Pana Malaria. <laughs> And, uh, there you go. <laughs> so imagine a lad growing up there in, with his tribe and hunting yeah. and gathering and being intimately mm, familiar with that landscape and that mountain obviously being an important role in the sort of psyche of ancient peoples. And then when he say maybe when he comes comes of age at seventeen or eighteen, he gets sent on a hero's journey. And he goes exploring and ends up contacting another tribe, maybe, say, a week's walk away for a fit lad. Yeah. And then he sees the paradolla, and it reminds him of his childhood, and that's what inspires him to finish the drawing. Or he's saying, someone's asked him where he's from, and he's trying to explain it to the, you know, near that mountain that looks to me like a silverback gorilla on the left but i'm thinking that in twenty thousand years there would have mm. been a significant amount of erosion uh so when that when this um cave illustration was made it could have looked subtly different yeah so uh, you have significant erosion but you got to get a big size mountain it doesn't change it that much um so there's actually a fourth option oh a fourth option and it's not bigfoot um, so let's pop up slide 52. 
52. Coming right up. I've overshot. 52. We so we got an option number four. And option number four is um, on one side of the screen here for the, the audio audience. We have some constellations, and the bottom of that constellation is Ursa Major, the bear, the mother bear, the she bear. Mm-hmm. And her her left, her rear paw is right on Mother Earth, terra firma. Um, and then we have three other bear images, and these all come from um, caves in that area. And one of them is the our La Chimeneus bear with the cup on the hair, and the other two feature mother bears and cups. And uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll go with that for anybody out there in, t- in podcast land. And what we have is we have the, the mother bear in actual reverse of the she bear in the night sky. Now, when I did this, when I created this, this constellation image, it is in the wintertime, oh, late winter. It's an easterly view as Ursa Major would have been ro- first seen as it first ro- rose into the night sky into the dawn. So what the artists did was they first had this as a constellation. Okay, they first saw Ursa Major, the constellation, the she-bear of the night sky. Then they did. Then they saw, they recognized that constellation as kind of looking like the, the bear in the mountain. And then what they did was they went into the caves. And they looked for uh, sort of paradoid-like features that they could fill in the blanks. Now, there's something very interesting about all, all three of the, the she-bears in these, these cave images is that they all face to the viewer's left. Mm. And they're all trapped in time. They're all trapped in time. And I would say they're trapped in time because Ursa Major, the constellation, is moving from left to right. And these bears are... The mountains can't move, so they've reached the extent of their left. Okay, so why would the so why would the bears be these three bears, the mountains and the cave art, be looking from right to left, whereas the Ursa Major is, is as we see in the Greeks is from left to right. It's because if you go around the world, people see Ursa Major constellation, but they all don't see it the same way. Yeah, and as Ursa Major travels through the seasons. The, the constellation moves around and people come up with their own narratives. Um, and so what I would say is that in, in this case, they, 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 they had Ursa major in the night sky. Um, and then they, they, they found it in the terrestrial world and then they put it into their underworld. Um, and this became all part of the mythology. Now this image, this image is um, of the, the first one we have with the bears is about 19,000 years ago. I have the same Ursa major in the same, in line with all the other Greek constellations going back to 34,000 years ago. So it, it, it didn't start here. <laughs> it started somewhere else where they, we observe Ursa major. And then they, they, as they went along, they kept finding new mountains and then caves to put these, these images in. Now then, Bernie, just a quick um, sort of ancient animal question. Mm. Um, obviously, we have we have bears in in North America, big bears, and we have some bears in Asia and stuff. In this mm-hmm. sort of time frame in Europe, would there have been bears around? Yeah, absolutely. There were there were three. Let's call them. I'm not sure what the word subspecies, but we're going three subspecies. One is the um, Eurasian the, the Eurasian bear. The other. The next second is the Cantabrian bear. And the third is what we people call the cave bear. We don't have, we don't have any cave bears to compare it to. So we don't, 
we can't say. So the the first image that I showed you is the Cantabrian bear. The second one is the Eurasian bear, the Eurasian brown bear. And I would say the 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 the, the lower image on this one, the, the audio audience can see, would then be the the cave bear. So we we can actually see now what a bear the bear looked like then that time the cave bear other than you know skull and bones right um, and what if anybody could remember visualize they had Ursa, Ursa Major constellation this you have a tail um, you have a tail well there's no tails bears don't have tails it doesn't matter where you're on the world bears don't have tails okay but if below the, below the tail in Ursa Major would fit nicely the heads of all these bears looking in the opposite direction in the caves. It would fit perfectly in there. And, um, and the rear legs work, work as well wow. for the, for the cave art bears. So they were, they just saw, they saw the bear, um, you know, coming out of a cave, but was stopped at the door, um, at the, you know, the cave entrance. And then, um, this, and then the, and then moments later, the, the bear disappears into the daylight. So have we got it back? Did the Greeks get it back to front then? The depiction of the... Well, so the Greeks... So the answer to that is the Greeks just... They just reversed it. Yeah. They just reversed it. But we Native Americans have it reversed as well, as, as reversed what the Greeks have, and then the same as this. Um, uh-huh. And and Native Americans have it that the bear actually turns and because the, the bear goes up into the night sky, turns around and kind of comes down again. And so the... Um, this, people created their own stories within these paradoia constellations in the night sky. They all created, it's all created through paradox. Without the, our ability to see paradoia, we could never travel through the night sky. Uh, we chimps, chimps will, doesn't, you put a chimp in a spaceship, all they can do is look out the window, okay? Um, they have no idea what's going on out the window. <laughs> or the portal, I guess, the portal. Not the window. That's, um, that's such a great point. Like, without this sort of innate ability of paradoia, ancient seafaring, navigation, all that stuff goes out the window. Yeah, Never would have happened. Wow. And it's not just seafaring, it's traveling across terrestrial. These, these people... These 19,000 years ago and 34, of course, thousand years before them, they were, I'm not going to say they didn't have canoes of some sort. I'm not going to say it, but they weren't, they're traveling across land with these same constellations and the constellations, as I said earlier, they actually traveled land and sea, short, short stretch of the sea, but the constellations um, mimic the animals in their terrestrial or aquatic space. So everything's connected. So who are the people? Who are the people who are here now, or sort of left from from when the Spanish arrived? They're the Basque. Yeah. And if you know anything about Basque, it's one thing: it's that they're separatists. Okay. They're, I said that's it. I mean, and that's the story of Guernica, right? The story of Guernica. The Basque was separatists from the the Franco regime. Um, the Basque, the Basque have the second thing. If you know anything about Basque, is that Basque have their own language that is not connected to the, the other languages in Europe. So the question is, well, where did the Basque language come from? No oh. one knows. Oh, so what? Well, sorry. So the Basque language isn't derived from from Latin or Greek or the Romance. It's completely separate, is it? Completely separate. 
as, wow. and not not connected to any Indo-European languages. Whoa. No. Now, I was talking about this on Friday night. There's only a handful of languages in Europe that aren't derived from the Indo-European. There's only one. There's only one. Uh, Hungarian. Hungarian, I think. Um, well, they, yeah, so but you can trade, you can connect it. So the, the Basque <laughs> is, is totally distinct. So yeah. there's, it's a, it's so a, were these people, so the re, were these people Basque? Were they Basque? And, um, well, we're, we're going to, um, and they've had this in their culture all along. So the Basque, um, the, 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 we don't know, we don't know when the Basque arrived, because there's no record of the Basque, but we actually have bear traditions in Basque mythology. The ba- it, Basque believe they came from bears. Wow. They came from bears. The bears are their brothers and their sisters. And it, when the Basque came, so I, I would argue Basque came from the western part of North Africa. Okay, that's what, I, that's what my theory is. And when they arrived, they would have come to the caves and they would have seen some cases with you know, claw marks of Basque, of the bears. So the the bears were the first artists. Okay, <laughs> they saw it in the caves. They saw it on the they saw it on the um, on the trees. The bears were the first artists that they could see. So the bears were there first, and therefore they must. If they came, if they came after the bears, and therefore they must have came from bears. And that's fundamentally the belief of the Basque people today. Um, and, and actually, in the tradition of the Basque. So I'm I'm gonna we're gonna take a um, we're gonna we're gonna move to another cave. Actually, we're going to go to, go to an, another mountain and we're going to pick up slide number eight. Slide number eight. Okay. Okay. And for the audio audience, slide number eight is a mountain. Okay. It's kind of a unique mountain. It's called Chindoki. Chindoki, which is a Basque, of course, a name. And this mountain has a kind of, it kind of looks like, kind of like, a, um, like a, a snail. A lot of like a snail. Kind of like the head that pops up the peak of the snail and sort of stuff. And uh, this, you can't see other big mountains around it. And this is a sacred mountain of the Basque people. They're, they're sort of like spirit, great spirit. Mari lives in a cave on this mountain or in this mountain. Okay. And Chindoki um, is one of the, uh, Doki in Basque means place. Chin has no origin, no known no known designation or meaning other than being part of Chindoki. So this is the place of Chin and Chin is spelled T X I N. Okay. Okay. So we have, we have a original Basque word. That's this fact mountain. Okay. Versus pick Panamera was a, a Spanish word that we talked about forward there. Okay. And uh, so Basque people still do sort of a, a kind of sacred climbing of this as people would, you know, climb, you know, like walk a, to Mecca. Or like a pilgrimage. Like yeah. Like a pilgrimage. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a major mountain in, in Basque mythology, in Bath uh, mythology. Wow. It is a sacred mountain. Now here's, I'm going to th- throw in something, a little, little curveball. It's a little off, you know, in a different park. Now there are linguists um, who believe that Armenian, is connected to Basque. 
Okay, Armenian. And when we're talking about Armenian, we're not talking about um, the Armenians today per se, but we're really talking about people, and, and, you know, people left Armenia, but we're talking about what's called the Armenian Plateau, which includes Turkey and where we have Gobekli Tepe and all the other Tepes. Okay. So these are, these are, these are linguists say that uh, Basque has very close parallels in many words um, to Basque and they have the word chin. And it means, it means bad. Okay. So I don't, I personally do not have an opinion on whether or not the Basque language and the Armenian is the same, but there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of literature among linguists that say, Hey guys, you just, but so what the Basque say is, what the Basque say is, well, there's no archaeological evidence to connect the two. And what the Armenian linguists are saying, well, um, we think the linguists are saying that, um, the, that agriculture came to Spain or Basque people seven, seven to ten, seven to eight thousand years ago, and the language came at the same time. That's what they say. And so the Armenians would then have become the Basque. Mm. But what if, yeah, but what if we can find evidence in the caves, more concrete evidence that predates seven, eight thousand years ago? And all these images we're talking about now are all. The cave images are all prior to 12. So if we can find Basque, Basque um, characters and, and mythology and language, perhaps, in Basque caves that predates the, the Armenian agriculture revolution that moved over, that would say that the Basque were first. Mm. Okay. So what happened? Everybody knows the story. What happened 11,000 years ago in our Armenian plateau, Turkey? Well, what happened? You've had guests there. What did they make? What did they make? Oh, Gobekli Tepe, do you mean? Gobekli Tepe, right? Yeah. Okay. There was, there's a bunch of Tepes, you know, Go Tepe is kind of the most famous one. Karahan but they're tepe. all about 11,000, 12,000 years ago. Mm. Okay. There is no big art in that part of the world prior to that. And people say, well, they made it, they invented it. So, well, there's a ton of big art in, in in Basque land prior to 12,000 years ago, that goes all the way back to 34,000 years, actually 40,000 years ago. There's a, there's a precedence of art before it gets to, for, for tens of thousands of years before it ends up at Gobekli Tepe. And what we have now is we have Basque words or Armenian words that can be connected. So did that would suggest that the, ba- the, the Basque people ended up in Turkey on the Armenian plateau, and they would then become the origins of the Armenian, then Armenian language, and the people who built Gobekli Tepe and other Tepes. Because the Basque come first. They definitely come first. And we've got these words. We have these these words. So we're going to go to the, the next slide, and that's 24. Sorry, I was uh, I was so stunned. I was actually, a bit actually, actually, wait, wait, oh, Next slide is 25. I'm sorry, 25, 25. 25. 25. We're going to go to slide 25. Okay, Chindoki. So we're looking at Chindoki now. That mountain kind of looks like a snail. But the cave artists didn't think it looked like a snail. They thought it looked like a, like a mammoth or um, a mastodon. But actually, they, it's a straight tusk elephant. And they were el- straight tusk elephants in, in Europe at that, during that period. And it actually looks just, there's an image in uh, the Lomos Menedas cave, which is in the same part of Spain as the other ones, um, that is identical with all the features of the, of Chindoki. 
And I have another one, which I didn't, we're not going to, it's a, it's a rep. It's a, and another cave that is exactly the same image. Okay. So we have two, we have two of these, these straight test elephant characters depicted on caves that looked exactly like Chindoki have all these, these features. And uh, so what we have is we have a, we have a current Basque um, mountain. We have the same character depicted in a, on the cave on two cave walls in cave walls in two different caves that is identical to that. Now we're going to go to another, we're going to pick up another slide and I'll talk our way through it as well. And that's slide number 20. Actually, hang on a second. Um, pick up slide. It's a very distinctive mountain, that Chindoki, isn't it? I think it looks a bit like a bloodhound looking up, but it's only because <laughs> of the shadows. Oh. And that red red arrow is right where its nose is. Yeah. And then it's got its jowls. Mm-hmm. Not sure there were bloodhounds there back then. Certainly not getting elephant. <laughs> oh, where's Bernie gone? Oh, it's there. <laughs> it was black screen. I thought it disconnected then. It's, it's, it's black background. Hey, Bernie. You're out there, Bernie. Hey. Yeah, I had a pull. I want to get the uh, uh, image in the current storyline right. as we've been we've been doing our thing. And um, <clears throat> we're going to pick up image 19. Elpindal. Okay, you guys are good at this. Okay, so what we're looking at here is we're looking at the Chindoki depicted in another cave called in the El Pindal Cave, which is the same part of Spain. So we see, in fact, we actually can see more of the trunk. This image has a trunk features as well. Um, and there's there's something, there's a few things unique about this. One is that this, the trunk features all in gold. And the Basque people believe that um, Mary is a, as like a spirit or goddess or however you want to see it of gold. So when you find Mary, you find the mother load. Okay. Mary, uh, Mary, Mary. So it's not Mary, like Jesus, Mary, Joseph, but it's Mary. M A R. We would spell it M A R I. And so it's, it is also a Basque word as far as we know. And uh, so we find that we find the mountain again in, in the, in the Basque tradition, um, which is like, which is really cool. And then, um, and so Mary, Mary comes also Mary brings the weather with her. So wherever she goes, she brings, she travels, she travels, she travels to two other mountains as well to, to carry weather. So let's jump to slide 28. And, uh, sorry. I was unaware. So uh, here we are. 28. Ooh. Oh, okay, now for the audio audio audience now, what we have is we've gone back to the Lama Nagas cave and we'll, what's called, it's called the panel mass. We saw the Shindoki, the Shindoki elephant. It's the same thunder up the mountain. <laughs> it but, is. but we've, we've expanded the view. And what we have is on one side of it, we have this character that the bass call Ode. And Ode is Ode. the personification of the wind. And Ode uh, is kind of an agent of Mary. And so we have this personification of the wind blowing everything around that's, that's in its mists. 
So we have um, at the location that the Bass say Mary and O'Day should be. Wow. And we're talking, so we're going back, um, I think this is like 15,000 years or so. And we've got the same mountain there at the top. Yeah. It's the same. It's Yes. And so we're, we've got the mountain, Chindoki. We've got O'Day, the spirit of the wind. And we got some other cool characters in there. And, and there's, a, there's a bunch of flora, or, or, uh, flora, a bunch of different plants. And we can actually identify these plants. And, and, the, and the, the scene is um, it's all, all the plants are marked off in black and want to give the impression that they are, um, in, uh, you know, a pre-dawn scene or early in the, early in the night or something like that. Um, late in the night. And there's a man behind a mask, which is kind of pretty cool. Um, it's actually pretty amazing. Um, and this was pretty, much called the panel mask. And the, the people who are studying this, they believe that all this, all the characters are masks, that all these things that I'm calling plants and I can identify all the plants um, were masks. But in fact, there's, there's one character who's behind the mask and there's one character had these elven sort of ears. Um, yeah. And, but it's, it's, that's the elven in today's vernacular, but we would, my guess is, it's a, I, I would go with Fox. Um, yeah, I'm thinking Thundercat. <laughs> Tigris. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, and he comes out from behind the mountain. He comes out from behind the mountain. Yeah. And so, what and so this is a, this is in present day bath mythology that predates the Spanish and predates Gobekli Tepe and predates the, the movement of agriculture from, um, Turkey, or the Armenian, Armenian plateau, to um, northern Spain. And I mean, we're assuming that these guys who made these drawings weren't agricultural. I'm guessing. No, so agriculture. Well, there's as far as we means know, means that the, the the cultivation and harvesting of grains is um, seven to eight thousand years ago. Actually, actually, go back to Tepe 11, 12. But in a serious way, 7 to 8, the Neolithic Revolution. But really, so go back to Tepe people, um, 11 to 12 had some sort of, they were cultivating grains. Yeah. Now, it, like in like real hunter-gatherer world, they, they do cultivate plants. So in the Pacific Northwest here, the Native Americans would take the, maybe like, take three camas roots. Uh, they'd harvest three camas roots. They put one in the bag. They put one back in the ground where they found it. And they put the third one in another location to cultivate another spot. Okay. So is that agriculture? Um, that's how hunter gatherers do agriculture. So people at this time period were probably doing the same sort of stuff, but what they weren't doing is they didn't have vast fields of grain that someone went through with a sickle and, um, and made, you know, mama's bread. And uh, you, we're guessing they were probably nomadic as well, do you think? Well, that that becomes a... Well, nomad, nomad's an interesting word um, that's commonly used. Now, the Native Americans in this part of the world where I live, they used to spend their summers um, in they spend, so this, like, the spring where the salmon came up. They would harvest, and it was um, moderate temperatures. And as the summer came on, they would travel into the mountains where it was cooler, and they'd harvest other animals and plants. Um, and then in, in the fall, they'd work their way down again because the, the animals were coming off of the hills, off the mountains to rut, the deer and the elk. So, And then they'd ultimately come back to the same spot. And so they knew 
and then the spring they'd be same place where the cabinets were that they you know they, they had three they put one in the bag one in the in the ground and the other in the location so they were they nomads per se that mm-hmm. you know willy-nilly no but they, it was very scheduled yeah, scheduled and how no, they nomads it. relative to us, but sounds more cyclical. Yes, me. nomads. Yeah, yeah. But it's not, you know, it's just, you know, there's nomads out. There's podcast nomads. You know, they they um, they go from one Burning Man type event to another, and um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you guys can do that. Sure, oh, one day. Yeah, Burning yeah, Man. One day, yeah. yeah, it's hot. Though, yeah. yeah, it's melting. I believe. Burning. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of. Uh, I don't know. You, you've been, haven't you, Bernie? You've been burned. You know, I did. Man. I did uh, vir- two virtual Burning Man's during COVID because they were shut down. Yes. And uh, so they they went online, and I I get I get I uploaded my material, two different videos, and they they ran they they kind of streamed it through their channels. Yeah. The focus. And I also did. Tree. I also got the the, the 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 virtual glasses, and I you know. Yeah, like it was a virtual um, skateboard or something, and I surfed around in the in the village. Yeah, but it's back now. You can you can go. I wouldn't trust myself there. I've heard stories. Ah, I'd be right. What kind of stories? Oh, um, um, I don't know how to phrase this. There's no way it'd be as bad as Leeds Festival 2002. <laughs> yeah. No, true. Move on, move on, move on. Okay, so I Bernie, have a friend quit. who's a, I, I have a friend who's an anthropologist, and um, I have great respect for him. And year, many moons ago, he went to Burning Man, and he, and he did you know what people do, um, and he um, experienced what people experience, and he he felt that he became more creative through the things that he did, the LSD, right, and. Um, and so he's completely convinced, completely convinced that art itself came through through the instigation of hallucinogenic substances. And at that time, it would have been psilocybin mushrooms. Okay. Um, so the what what Picasso did say it was not that Picasso knows everything, but Picasso said it was paranoia. It was our unique ability. Mm-hmm. Now, could if someone was doing mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms, right? Is it possible? That they could have seen the night, see the constant, the bear, Ursa Major in the night sky. Absolutely. Even though people had seen it before. You, you do mushrooms, you can see the bear in the night sky. Okay. Not that I, you know. Actually, by the way, psilocybin's decriminalized in Portland, Oregon, in Oregon itself. So you can do anything you want to do. Okay. When are we um, going? I thought we were already guys, there. <laughs> yes. It's all, it's all, it's like, cannabis is too it's cannabis is actually legal legal okay so could he have seen could through psilocybin mushrooms could he have seen the night sky seen the ursa major as a bear absolutely no question um could he have walked or she could have she have walked a week on psilocybin mushrooms i mean you gotta take it every six seven hours um to the to the mountain to actually you could have seen the mountain with the bear with the bear the constellation right so that we'll call that one location could he then have walked a week on psilocybin mushrooms crawled around in the cave for thousands of meters with a with a a little um a little lamp um found the paradoia on the wall and then made these intricate um images 
Absolutely. It's, it's called a vision quest. <laughs> you just you follow the fox. That sounds like Johnny Cash. <laughs> yeah. So so the vision actually you have a vision. Native Americans in my part of the world have a vision quest. Yeah. And but or walk about these. Call number it one the, is they're not on so. drugs. They're, they're not on drugs because because they've got to walk a far distance. You're going to get hurt. Okay. But these they send them out into the in the you know cold, dark, rainy night, and you know without a gut, without a knife or anything, and they have to kind of scrounge around for a few days, and and then they they come to the the, the depths of their despair. They look at the the mountain and they say, oh, you know, that is I've now connected with the Great Almighty, and that's a vision quest. And they, or they might look at previous cave art, rock art, um, petroglyphs, and they might make some connection, but. The, if you're on if you're on shrooms, you can't walk for a week, um, and, and you know you just can't do it. You can't we can't walk for a day. It's just not gonna because you just kind of like wobbly like so really drunk. It's kind of circles. <laughs> There's no way you're gonna be crawling around in the in the dark of a cave, um, trying to navigate and finding a crack in the rock that looks like the paradoia of the constellation. And the and the the bear in the mountain, oh. totally impossible that you can be able to do that. <laughs> and then you have to actually make it. Um, so we're talking artistry. Very so Picasso. This is above Picasso's level artistry. So then you've got to pull out your inner Picasso. All these cave artists over tens of thousands of years pulling out that little Picasso and and creating this incredible art. All on psilocybin mushrooms. <laughs> I don't think so. I just don't. Um, and you're not going to do an L- LSD, or which wasn't, it's a modern creation anyway. It just didn't happen um, because there's too many steps involved in the process. But what um, could have happened, going back to what we discussed earlier, was that there was an individual um, apprentice, you know, 12, 11 to 13 years old, and he is, he is sent on this journey. And he's got to find the mountain and at the mountain at the right time of the year, just before the, the bear, you know, the, when the bear is rising into the sun. Okay. So it's a specific time of year. And then he, he, he has some stories that tell him or myths that tell him where to go find the cave. And in that cave, he's got, he's got to navigate within the cave and, and he finds the, he, he finds this image that he sees and he makes a connection between the, un, the upper world and the underworld. Now in Basque tradition, Basque believe, uh, besides that coming from bears, that the mountains and everything else actually came from the underworld. So they believe there is a connection between the cave art and the mountains and the sky world because everything emerged from the earth. It all fits together in a tradition. Now, we, we looked at two images today, uh, two sets of images. One was the bear, um, and the other was the elephant. And the, the elephant becomes um, Taurus um, in the night sky in the same way as, the, as we saw with the bear. I have 10 more of these, so 10 more constellation characters. So they didn't just go. They just didn't go to see the bear on the wall. They went to see all these other constellations on the walls as well, that they already knew the mountains and they already, already knew the constellations of the night sky. And so it was probably some sort of like, um, like a where's Waldo with, you know, 15 <laughs> different Waldos. Right. And, uh, and so, and, so the, the most of these, cause I mean, the bear isn't in the Zodiac, but the other 10 examples you have, are they mo- mainly the, the ones with, that we know about the famous uh, Zodiac? 
Constellation. Um, so the answer to that is no. No. They're, um, I can't think, of, no, because they weren't interested in the Zodiac. Let me explain something. So we're going to go to a little astrophysics just for a moment, right? And um, the, the Earth wobbles over a 27,000-year period. Okay, wobbles, yeah, wobbles. Yeah. And so the constellations that one would see today would be the same as you, in the same place you'd see them 27,000 years ago, um, in the same seasons, I should say, in the same place. But 15,000 years ago, they would be in different seasons. Right, because of procession. Procession, because procession. Now, in this wobbling, what also happens is that some some constellations that you saw fifteen thousand years ago, you won't see today, because they're either they'd be above or below your horizon, your your visual nighttime horizon. So constellations would actually disappear. Um, you'd find new ones, but others would disappear. Now, the, the Greek constellations as we know them come from Claudius Ptolemy, and Ptolemy is. Um, for for you know, that two thousand years was an absolute genius, but in more modern times, people say he's a fraud, and this is the reason why: is Ptolemy recorded constellations that he could never have seen because they're below the visual horizon. So, then the question then becomes: Where did Ptolemy get those constellations from? I would say he got them from the cave that, that he had a source that got them from the caves from a time period when they could see those constellations because he doesn't describe constellations as we do today, you know, you know, this 12 stars and, you know, gamma beta alpha with this or stuff. He described the animal characters and in the animal characters, the tail might be one one star and the, the eye might be another. So isn't, but he couldn't have seen certain constellations that were below the horizon. So he had to have an earlier source or he had to be, you know, a thousand miles north or south, which he wasn't. And his sources weren't a thousand miles north or south either. But his sources, he had a source that they saw the cave images and they knew constellation characters um, from an earlier time period. How, how much earlier? Because, I mean, if, if Ptolemy's in Alexandria, he would have had sort of probably ancient Egyptian records going back another couple of thousand 3,000 years, maybe? Yeah, still wouldn't be enough. Still wouldn't be enough. Not to see some of the, some of the stars you saw, because right. it, it had to be, it had to be eight to 10,000 years earlier. Now, here's wow. my hypothesis, is that, so Ptolemy um, was, the, was the person that gives us the, the modern record, comes to the alchemist. But there was a, an, a Greek, a much earlier Greek, and his name is Eudoxus. And Eudoxus was about um, 900 BC, I think, 900 BC. Um, Eudoxus was in the same time period as um, Plato. Um, they knew each other. They weren't, they weren't friends. They weren't buds. They didn't do a podcast together. Um, but they, they knew each other. Play, they both went to Egypt. Um, and, and Plato met with Solon, the priest, and Eudoxus met with, um, with uh, Canopius or something like that, I know these Greek words. And from Eudoxus brought back astronomy from Egypt. Okay. And Plato brought back, back uh, mythical society, Atlantis, right? Um, now, at the same time Eudoxus comes back, he brings, he had constellations emerge that are in the Greek record, but are not in the previous um, Babylonian record. So Eudoxus came up with constellations. That there was no previous record in the, the, the among the Greeks, 
but some of those constellations are in the Paleolithic record. So I would suggest that the, the ancient Egyptians had a source. Um, those sources, that source had been to these caves and they had brought back these much earlier constellations and they were kept the, now there's a, you know, I once said that Egyptians didn't write down anything, but the truth is that the Egyptians priests didn't write down anything. I, I mixed, I mixed that one day. They wrote an awful lot of, lot of hieroglyphs tell, you know, how to live, how to die, all that sort of stuff. But their, their scientific knowledge was kept um, word of mouth among the priests. And so Eudoxus and Plato were both under Hellenistic period. Um, Alexander the Great conquers the you know the known world, all that sort of stuff, um, and that brought that was a time period where they could go to Egypt and they could come back again. And for the first time, the, the Greeks had writing, so we have this in writing from this this knowledge that the the Egyptian priests kept the secret brings it back to um, to Greece. Um, and they, we, we then gain it in an actual record that we carry on through time. And it was, we have it as Eudoxus is the person, contemporary of Plato in that time period. So Plato, Plato heard the same stories. Okay. He probably saw the same information. Plato comes out, out of it. He says, well, there's this magical mythical organ, uh, society before us, and they had this great technology. Well, the great technology was the constellations that the Greeks didn't have the full record of. They, obviously, the, um, that we, we now see today and goes back to an earlier time period. Do we know um, that the, pre the cave records are the original source then? Or were there any references to um, constellations that weren't around 20,000 years ago in the cave paintings themselves? Um, so there's... Okay, so the cave paintings, paintings are not the original source. Well, they could have been the original source of the the Egyptians and perhaps the Phoenicians or somebody else who was the intermediary. Okay. I'm open to that idea, but they're not the original source. The original source was in the night sky among desert people in West North Africa. There were nomads who saw them and told these stories for tens of thousands of years before then. Hmm. But there, that's, but there's, there's, and then what they did was in North Africa, they found the same paradoia type of things in mountains that became venerated as their, um, you know, as their, like sort of gods. Yeah, then we'll, we'll start by building pyramids and ziggurats. Yeah, so they're, they're, they saw them in the Paradoia in West North Africa in the same way they saw them in the Paradoia of mountains on the Iberian Peninsula. As people went along, they found new new places for the same Paradoia objects or constellations in the night sky in the same way as my my buddies and I were going down the river. We saw a square rock. We, you know, we weren't the first ones to see, obviously, the female effigy in the mountains. <laughs> we obviously weren't. It's on a map, right? Can't make it. And we weren't the first ones to ever see an effigy on any mountain because, or the you know, the person named it square rock wasn't the first one either because there were people had seen effigies of naked women in mountains all over the world. Um, Every it's day, the absolutely. We search for it and that mountains. we keep seeing. Yeah. So, the, so the source document is really the, the night sky connected to the mountains um, at a much earlier time period that we kept re reproducing. Now, we, we do, we, we've done it in the United States, too. Remember um, Close Encounters of the First Kind? And uh, what, what, is the, what do they all dream about? The mountain, the potato. Mountain. The mountain. Do you know, anybody remember the mountain? 
Mount, Mount Rushmore? <laughs> no, no. You guys should know. It's, it's, we call it now Devil's Tower. Ah. Cylinder shape, right? And, um, it's just, and they, they all, they not only dream about it, but they, they're drawn to the mountains. So that's, they're going to have the, the, the moment with the aliens, right? Okay. And cool, cool, really cool movie. Now, among the Lakota Sioux who live in that part of the world, they've had a tradition that they, in the spring, they travel from one mountain to another. And each mountain is characterized as a constellation. And the last mountain that they go to is what we call Devil's Tower, but they call um, Bear Lodge. And Bear Lodge to them is what we, Greek would call the constellation Gemini. Ah. So we have this, we have the same tradition. We have the same tradition all around the world. I'm not going to tell you that that Gemini is connected to the upper K-bars, but I will say that there, we have this connection between the, ter- the terrestrial and the, the, the sky world among hunter gatherers through mountains um, cause that's how we make the, the physical connection to the night sky. Yeah. It's everywhere. Look at Uluru, look at Mount Olympus, look at the old Testament. Do you think the Mount Egyptians, Sinai, everywhere. The Egyptians create artificial mountains then to be more. It's the Tower of Babel. You know, What's the exactly. Tower of Babel? The you pyramids are, are artificial mountains, hundred percent that you're right on. So when, when the Egyptians stopped making pyramids, they still kept, well, the pyramid, I, I would say that, say the pyramids are two mountains in the same way as these upper pillars cave are two mountains or it's a spiritual two mountains, whether or not there's an actual body in there. Okay. They stopped making the pyramids and they, 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 they went to the, um, the Valley of the, the Valley of the Kings and the Valley of the Kings, they dug into the, the walls um, where they created tombs and they put actual bodies and other things in there at the, at the peak the peak of the Valley of the Kings, there's a, it's a, it's a mountain, it's a mountain. And it's a conical shape. It's a, I'm sorry, a um, pyramidal shape at the top. So they, they found, they were making mountains that I believe they pulled from this, this upper pillar of the concept. And then they, when they stopped making pyramids, they found it a much easier way to do it by digging into the cat, tunneling into these mountains, uh, until a mountain, um, which has the same pyramidal shape at the top. It's the same story. Yeah. Now, we, we started this off talking about Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung. Um, Carl Jung examined the, um, the dreams of many thousands of people. And then two mo- the two most common non-organic, so characters that he found were rivers of transformation or water of transformation. And do we want to guess the other one? Mountains. <laughs> mountains. Yeah, there we are. You got mountains. Yeah. So the mountains are our dreams. They're in our unconscious that we can't escape from. And that's why the Lakota Sioux ha- have the same tradition. I mean, it is the exact same tradition as these upper pillars, the cave artists. Wow. It's really cool. It, Love this stuff. It's in our psychology. You guys, you can't, you're destined, you're, you have a destiny, but your destiny is preordained through all these archetypal characters that form a great myth. Um, that you can't escape from. Well, on that bombshell, Bernie, we've done like well over an hour already. And uh, I'm just conscious of the time and my bladder. 
<laughs> yeah, we're good. Yeah. So we we fully ra- we wrapped it up. We covered Burning Man. We covered Squaw Mountain. We covered um, psilocybin. Naked women. Yeah. Naked mountains. What, anything else? Something for everyone there. Bears. Yeah, that was fun, guys. Oh, it's been great. It's uh, nice to see you again and uh, mm-hmm. go over this stuff. Can't recommend your YouTube channel enough. You know, people should check it out. The link will be in the show notes, as mm-hmm. ever. And you can uh, find keep up with Bernie and uh, find him on social media on the tweets. Yep. And the instas. The socials. And the boob tubes. Boob I mean, is there anything, any final thoughts you want to leave before we wrap up Burnley, Bernie? Well, we need to have a chat again before we go through another 200 or so episodes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe we can do it next Burning Man. When is next Burning Man? Since June is Burning, Bur- Burning, Burning Man's in August. Oh, right. You guys oh, don't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Got to work on it. Prepping. <laughs> right. Well, it's been a pleasure. Um, Absolutely. On that note, we, we shall sign off for this part of the show. And um, thanks again, Bernie. Stay on the line for us for two minutes while we play ourselves out. And uh, check out the links in the show notes. Keep up to date. All right. Yep. Bye. Say nada. Whoops. (laughs) What a mess. Right then, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. Limp dick city. <laughs> oh that was God. our uh, cracky. Steady on, Charlie. That was our chat with uh, Bernie, Bernie Taylor from Be- yes. Before Orion. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that from beginning to end. There was lots of things in that that I'd not and, heard of. And lots of further things. I, 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 I want to have a look into the Basque now and see what all that's about. The, uh, yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, the and the archetypes as well. Yeah. Yo! Oh, the one's here chat. at last. Jesus Christ, we were thinking the stream was broken. There was no one in the chat. Hi, mm. Hi Helen. <coughs> Helen's come to... Save Blockland. Yeah. No, that was good. Links in the show notes as ever for uh, Bernie's mm. stuff. Okay, and you, if you want some sumptuous voiceover on your, on your prehistoric YouTube videos. Oh, yes. Yes, head to his channel because there's some hot shit. <laughs> yeah, I wonder who does these voiceovers. It's, I was uh, trying to figure out whether it was um, like a an AI thing or he was paying an actor. This summer. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> a man leaves a cave on a quest <laughs> to another cave. <laughs> to another cave that looks vaguely like a bear. Looks nothing like anything half of that stuff. But this summer. Ah, <laughs> oh, scratchy. One man's quest of Paradolia. Do you pronounce the L? Paradolia. I've only ever seen it written down. Paradolia. 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 Yeah. So, Picasso, I've, I've heard that story before that Picasso ripped it off. Fraud. Yeah, you mm. heard it from episode 137 of the Armist Inquisition, probably. You heard it from episode 3 of the well, Armist Inquisition the when we said there's it. nothing new under the sun. <laughs> yeah. That one that everyone goes back to. Yeah. And then doesn't get any further from. That's the hero's journey. Starts at episode 1 of the Armist Inquisition. And you go yeah. through a change. 
Okay, anything else to add from uh, from that? No, just good. Let's do some headlines. of the week. Doctors remove steel cup from man's rectum ten days after drunken party. Wow. Um, Why did the doctors put it up there in the drunken party in the first place? I know, I know. And, uh, Crazy. I've got a, um, <laughs> I've got a report, an audio report. I've got a new favourite source. Let's check it out. A shocking incident. Her doctors at the MKCG hospital in Barampur removed a steel glass from patient's intestine. As per reports, the 45-year-old patient hailing from Baliapadar area under Buguda block of Ganjam district worked at a cotton mill in... What's funny? Sorry, nothing. Just remembering something funny I saw earlier today. Now, I, I didn't know what he was saying then. <laughs> Xenophobe. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> sorry, I was... So smooth-brained. In Surat. The victim had a boost party with his friends about 10 days back when they allegedly inserted the steel glass in his anus. In, an in his anus. Anus. Horrible. Steel glass. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Intoxicated condition. patient started having acute pain in the stomach soon after the incident, but he kept it a secret. However, his stomach started swelling as he could not defecate and then he immediately returned back to his village. His stomach started swelling and he couldn't defecate. Full of feces. That's why he had to uh, turn to the, uh, you know. What have I done? Got to cut it out. Cut it out, Doc. The doctors first tried to remove the glass through the rectum, but failed. (laughs) Tried to, uh, what, repeat the mode of entry? Through the rectum. To extract? To extract it through the rectum, yes. And they failed. Later on, the advice of the doctors, the victim underwent a surgery and the glass was successfully removed from his intestine, while his condition is said to be stable now. So, yeah. did, they, did they have to cut open his abdomen and his intestine? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, That's they tried serious. to pull it out of his rectum, his anus. His anus. And they failed because of the size of the thing. It was massive. <laughs> section it's massive How'd... <laughs> do you think someone poked it up there oh, that'd be... yeah 10 of his mates <laughs> ten of, it took 10 of them to get it up there it's four yeah. inches wide that's, no, a, that's, a, that's 100 mil millennials <laughs> it was four inches wide at its thickest and three inches at its thinnest uh, which end do you think went in wow. first? Well, let's have a look at the x-ray. Oh, Christ. Oh, Thin end first. The thin three-inch end first. How did they... Where did they cut? What's going on at the bottom of that x-ray? <laughs> yeah, he, he, he stuck a dice up there as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh! 
was. He was playing. He's playing snakes and ladders. Exactly, yeah. And I fell over, and I fell over with the dice in the cup, and it went up my anus. Anus. Wow, Christ. That's, um, yeah. Unfortunate. Uh, yeah, is it a steel glass? It was steel, a steel glass. He should have aimed for the... Uh, I am going to aim for the prostate in the men. I think he was aiming <laughs> for the prostate, wasn't he? <laughs> oh. And he overshot... Yeah. How drunk do you have to be? <laughs> Man tests positive for monkeypox, COVID and HIV after holiday to Spain. Triple threat. What, what a day. <laughs> a 36-year-old patient in <laughs> Italy. Going back there again. <laughs> Returned from holiday in Spain. Maybe it was Basque. The Basque region. He'll have gone to one of them caves. Yeah. And got the uh, the triple threat. Time now to take a quick look at what's trending on Weon's social media platforms. We are starting off with Weon's Instagram page. The story that's trending here is about how a man in Italy tested positive for monkeypox, COVID-19 and HIV. According to reports, the 36-year-old man was detected with sore throat, fatigue and headache nine days after he returned from a trip to Spain. Well, the moral of this is, don't go to the fucking doctor. We just had a sore throat and headache. Yeah. And he's come back with monkeypox, COVID, and, eight, and HIV. I know, yeah. What the Farage? Stay away. I'd be asking mm. for a second opinion, I think. And looking at our YouTube channel now, you can watch how detonating a nuclear bomb on Mars has many backers and opposers. Some advocate this by saying that it will make the red planet habitable, while others are opposing it by saying that it may cause a nuclear winter. What is that? You can find out more on our YouTube channel. Just slip that in at the end. Fuck. <laughs> Apparently Why? people are trying to they want to nuke Mars. Is that because it, with the ash? What, why? Get your ass to Mars. It wouldn't cause a nuclear winter here. No. It would cause a nuclear winter on Mars and kill and off all those Martian animals and plants. And therefore quiet make it habitable. Wait, I'm quiet. Well, no, you stop talking into the microphone. Oh. It's, uh, yeah, uh, it doesn't seem like a good idea, nuking Mars. Gets rid of some nukes. Well, I think that is it's a supply problem, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe a better nuke Mars than Earth. Just send them off into space. Can you even get one to the moon? We can find out tomorrow. Oh, yeah, yeah. For the first um, mission to the moon. Artemis in God knows many years. Did um, the Chinese not do it? Recently? Oh, are you saying it's the first mission to the moon? <laughs> sorry, yeah, the Chinese did it, didn't they? Oh, they did, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I forgot about that. Yeah, interesting name, Artemis. Artemis, don't know. You heard of the, the one of the wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis? Is it near the gardens of Babylon? No, <laughs> it's in Greece. I think I think it's in Greece. Well, Artemis is uh, the Greek god for the moon. All right, Diana. Ah, well, it's, uh, it's a good name then, right? It seems fitting. Good. Going to launch her up there. The um, the, the little probe things called Orion. It's just the, the rocket. Ryan's. Yeah, Ryan. Like Ryan 7. Oh, right. Yeah, just Ryan. <laughs> so they had a competition <laughs> to name the... Uh, no, do not Orion. Do not call it Proby McProbe face. <laughs> no. If there was a competition, it definitely will be called that. 
yeah, tomorrow. Right, fine. Moving on. Worm burgers could solve world hunger, scientists claim. Take my money. <laughs> Worm burgers are, of course, the new thing being pushed uh, to solve world hunger, yep, scientists okay. claim. Yeah. Does anyone know it's a trend with all this, uh, this buggy eating stuff that seems to be in the news every fucking day? I've, I've only ever it's seen it on boogies. the Irish Inquisition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> it's always about burgers. <laughs> a worm hot dog would probably make more sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's the so obsession with getting us to eat Why? Worms. This is what I want to know. Like, every week there's another one of these stories out here, you know? This is a bunch of South Koreans who put together this thing where they grind up some sort of mealworms and, you know, add some flavorings, and they think, oh, well, you know, people will love this, you know? And then, you know, you had... Um, I think it was uh, yeah. Sally Stegel tweeting the other day saying, oh, you know, if we could just... Can't contain his fucking rage, can no, he? He's no. tripping over his tongue. Still, it's better than dogs. Worms? Yeah. Worms don't kill people, rappers do. Well, the dogs in South Korea. Yeah, and China. There's that famous dog festival, isn't there? There's a lot of... Um, a lot of stuff gets eaten. <laughs> well, the, uh, we, well, I mean, if you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything, won't you? Yeah, I'd eat a worm if I was hungry enough. Not a tapeworm, that would be counterproductive. Start replacing some of our meat with the plant-based, um, plant-based burgers. Well, I'm sorry, Zali, but every burger is plant-based because cows eat grass, and that's how it works. They're all plant-based burgers. But this weird, creepy, you know, WEF-type obsession with all, you know, we will eat the bugs and we will be happy. You know, it's, it's just bizarre, and nobody laughs at it. And this is the thing we should all be just doing, laughing at the Absolutely. insanity of it all. And, and there's so much to laugh at. Yeah, guys, fucking mental. <laughs> Sky News Australia for you. It's good, good value, good value. Enter news fortainment. Filler, all killer, no filler. I mean, you'll probably lose weight, won't you, if you uh, if you eat insects? My friends, I was too fat. <laughs> you'll lose weight. You would lose weight if you. Um, hmm. I don't know how many. How many... Yeah. What you will? You will. <laughs> Confirmed. Just checked. Jesus Christ. Wind turbine blades could be recycled into gummy bears, scientists say. Ah, delicious. How's that going to work? Oh, do I have to get the story? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Enhance. Magnify, rotate, enhance. Wind turbine blades could be recycled into gummy bears, scientists say. Uh, The next generation of wind turbines could be recycled into gummy bears at the end of their service. Researchers at Michigan State's University have made a composite resin for the blades by combining glass fibres with a plant-derived polymer and a synthetic one. Once the blades have reached the the end of their lifespan, the materials can be broken down and recycled to make new products, including turbine blades and chewy sweets. Mmm, yum. I'm pretty sure I was told as a youngster not to eat glass fibres, but, you know... (laughs) That was a long time ago. Maybe it changed. To combat yeah. waste, researchers designed a new form of resin. Digesting the resin in an alkaline solution produced potassium lactate, which can be purified and made into sweets and sports drinks. Oh, my God, it's idiocracy. 
Just going to eat sports drinks. <laughs> just have sports drinks and wind turbine gummy bears. Is that the only two things that can be made in? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> we recovered food-grade potassium lactase and used it to make gummy bear candies, which I ate, said John Dorgan, one of the authors of the paper. The alkaline digestion also released polymethyl methacrylate, or PMMA, a common acrylic used in windows and car taillights. Delicious. <laughs> Fuck me. On eating gunny birds that are derived from a wind turbine, Dorgan says, a carbon atom derived from a plant, like corn or grass, is no different from a carbon atom that came from a fossil fuel. It's all part of the global carbon cycle, and we've shown that we can go from biomass in the field to durable plastics and back to foodstuffs. Oh, that's fine. Well, I'll just eat gummy bears and worm hot dogs. Honestly, it's like, fuck. What happened to Whole Foods, man? Well, they not allowed there. to eat those. I thought they were good. Oh, bad for the environment, isn't it? Oh, for fuck's sake. That's, uh, that's what it comes down to. Eat your fucking wind turbines and be happy about it. <laughs> for fuck's sake. <laughs> there was an article recently about um, Skittles being unfit for human consumption. That was to do... Was that that not to do with the uh, the printing the le- the uh, the uh, yeah, type potassium no uh, typeface titanium pigment or something wasn't it? Right, that's ah. fine. I mean, it should be obvious that skills aren't. I know, yeah. Good for human consumption. Don't eat millions of them. I mean, they don't come out of the ground, do they? You not <laughs> harvest skills. They come out of pods. It's garbage. It's not food, is it? It's a product. It's like Netflix. Not for human consumption. Oh, they're just so yummy like Netflix, though. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, we're on games night when we were playing COD, you uh, you recommended a film to me and I watched it, Ben. What film was it? Moonfall. <laughs> yes. Oh, what an idiot. <laughs> he goes... <laughs> He goes, I watched Moonfall the other night. I think it might be one of the worst films I've seen for ages. <laughs> and uh, so I found The Critical Drinkers just on a video on it. Right. Absolutely slated it. So I thought, yes, I'm going to watch this. It'll be good. Corroboration. Uh, it'll be entertaining, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The most preposterous film I've ever seen. <laughs> Do you think the moon's a megastructure? <laughs> <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Good for a laugh, though. Yeah. And if you've got a soft... I've got a bit of a soft spot for those um, those sort of um, late 90s, early 2000 disaster movies. Emmerich's. Like uh, 2012 and The Day After Tomorrow and Deep Impact, Armageddon. Yeah, yeah. It's quite... Uh, yeah, I have Is a bit of a soft spot for him. Is he called Roland Emmerich? Emmerich. Yeah. Is it not him? It is. He directed Moonfall and Day After Tomorrow and 2012 and Independence Day. Yes. Yeah, so Stargate. Stargate. Stargate, yeah. Oh, right. Well. And un- Universal away. Soldier. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. So basically, he started at the top. <laughs> yeah. Instead of starting at the bottom arm here, he started at the top and he's just. Um, yeah. Yes, dived okay. into obscurity and, and uh, preposterousness. I'm sure he's not that bothered. <laughs> I'm sure he's not. 
I thought the acting was uh, particularly terrible. That that poor guy. Um, what's his name? He played Sam in uh, yeah Game yeah. of Thrones. Yeah, I thought his acting mm. was absolute. How, how? What kind of shit does Roland Emmerich have on Halle Berry to rope her into that mess? It's Halle Berry. I don't, think I don't remember. She, she's the main second character. Oh, so. <laughs> she's not really in hits anymore. To be honest, not for a while. What? She's she's a failed actress now. She her career's on the decline. Well, you know, in the pantheon of actresses, I would say so. Yeah, too so. too old. It's no day another day. <laughs> I do not she's condone good... the words of Phil. No, but you know how Hollywood works. Come on, get real. Yes, um, very she... true. I, I I think she's still hot as hell, so I don't think it's yeah. that. And that's all that matters. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> uh, Good. She's a, she's a top. She's one of the best actors actors in the world. <sighs> really? Would you not say Halle Berry? Well, or a female actors? I mean, actresses we used to call them. She's top of the game to me. Right. Okay. Don't know who's better. I don't know. Brie Larson. <laughs> she won an Oscar, didn't she, for that? Yeah. That one where she was trapped in a room. 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 <laughs> didn't she? I think she did, didn't she? Well, yeah, Moonfall, watch it. Uh, I think, you know, 0.5 of a mat for the special effects. Generous. Housekeeping. <laughs> Housekeeping. Value for Value podcast. Find this podcast valuable. Please consider returns from Value. Myriad of ways of doing that. My favourite way, as ever, is word of mouth. Share links with your, your friends, family, your loved ones, your Discord communities, your Facebook groups, all the rest of it. Absolutely. Put the word out. Yeah, join the Discord server. And there may even be a special treat this week for those in the Discord. All right, yeah. To be announced. It's not my presence, by the way. Uh, don't don't get your hopes up. <laughs> but yeah, on there you can uh, send us news articles, videos, audio links. Make sure the timestamp, please. Um, show artwork, <coughs> requests for guests, guest requests. Birthday shout-outs, jingle requests. Jesus Christ, you had show artwork and then about uh, ten other things, right? With no, up. <laughs> no submissions for show artwork this week, so I rattled this one up. Uh, I like what you've done with the uh, the features, the face. That is, mm. It's almost... Um, what is that filter? Uh, it's like cartoonized, but not, not so much that it looks like a cartoon. It's quite good. I like it. It's sculpted. Underpainting, I think they call it. Underpainting. <laughs> Excellent. And you've got the uh, the hill that looks like nothing underneath and uh, some constellations. Well, it's like a bear with a cub on its head. Nope. Uh, it's clearly hands, a bear. <laughs> hand paintings. They definitely look like hands on those uh, on that wall behind, behind Bernie there, but yeah. It's not my best, uh, but I thought it was decent. <sighs> What else can you do in the Discord? 
I've no idea. You can send us news articles, timestamped. This is that. Videos. Oh. What about Focus Chi? Focus Chi, yeah, you can do Focus Chi if it's what? depleted. How's it work? Well, if you've got something big coming up, or you're feeling that your chi is limp dick city, um, depleted in any way, I will focus some for you. Just you? Well, I'm, you know. Can do it together as a community, man. With, well, the, yeah. with the thro- throngs. The throngs of the, you know, people in the dozens listening to this. It magnifies the power when we all work as one. Yeah. You can, you know, you might aim at the prostate. Mm-hmm. I aim at the pineal gland. I take a scattergun approach. That's <laughs> <laughs> me everything. He's See, Spider-Man. look, Helen says tar for the chi last week. There you go. Did it work though? Mm. Did it work? Oh well, we don't. Oh, that was that was a shotgun, wasn't it? Because usually a chi request yeah. is quite a personal thing. Mm. And Helen's like, no, I want a chi request for fucking everyone I know. Wow. Mm. <laughs> It was probably quite diluted. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine a lot of it would get to the periphery. No. But, not you know, lacking penetration. And he's better than none. True. Yeah, that's that's yep. definitely true. Uh, reviews. You can leave us a review on that on iTunes. You can uh, give us a star rating on Spotify. Hey, if you're watching this on YouTube, <laughs> hit that like button. Hit the bell. Subscribe. Smash that bell. Smash the like button. Leave a comment. And guess what? If you've nothing to say, just put in an emoji. So I'll go for the algo. Yeah. Yeah. Algo. (laughs) (laughs) Working on my pattern. If you've. uh, It all helps. Engagement is good. It helps. Yeah. You could uh, leave us recommendations to uh, really poor films in the Discord. Mm. And we'll uh, we'll attempt to watch them. Yeah. And uh, guest suggestions, I think we, we, we mentioned, didn't we? Uh, you can buy some merch from the Amish Loot Chest if you want to uh, help support the show and become a producer. Mitch. You can get one of these. Look at that. Bacon Nuts oh, t-shirt. Strong. Premium Ow. tea. Some big balls. They are so Only £26. For a premium cotton tea. Can we get that printed on a steel glass? <laughs> well, roughly three to four inches in diameter. Yes. I'm, sure we, I'm sure that could be arranged. Maybe a 16-ounce tumbler. Ooh, foreign. You mean a pint? That is a pint. It is a pint, yeah. Yeah. You know, for drunken shenanigans. Yeah, well, we'll take it under an advisory. Absolutely. Who knows where the night might take you. What else can you do? Show artwork. Corrections? We don't get many corrections these days. We're Just so uh, peerless in our information and accuracy. Focused. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's most of the uh, ways you can become a producer that we've mentioned. There. I can't think of anything else. Can you, Matt? No. You always toss us a coin. Toss a coin to your witch. Do it for the lads. 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 You know, because oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Limp Dick City. Yeah, if you go to the armistinkers.com and you'll find the PayPal button there, you give us a one-off donation, sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation. Donations at the level of £50 or $50 reduce or $50 Canadian dollars will grant you the rank, the status, the cachet, the social standing, the degree of executive producer for that episode. 
which looks great on your curriculum vitae and your LinkedIn. Yeah. And oh. just reference for your bank statements, Limp Dick City. <laughs> Limp Dick City. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> Only you fuckers out there can say Plotland and keep the shit show going. Wow. Thank you. Okay. Shall we, uh, shall we thank them? I think we is should. It, I think it's only right. Is it time? Let me check. It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo. We've got producers for episode 245. We have... They're not on my list. I forgot to write it down. <laughs> <laughs> the printer broke. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Rona Kesson. Nicholas. Bill Strutt. Helen Slicko. Lee. Joe? Mostly business. Helen from Berkshire. Thank you, you're... They are, yeah, so amazing in their love, literally. I really need a new printer. (laughs) The best mate. Extremely cool, guys. You are extremely cool. Thanks for supporting us this week. You, you bloody communists. Because I'm literally a communist. The dwarf. <laughs> the Greek. The homophobe. The wings. The Asna. The corrupt. The number 11. The blind man. The fallen on the horizon. The girl and the mother. From hell. <laughs> Put on your fucking muzzle if you go to the shop. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for your support for another week. It means the world to us. It does. It really does. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. uh, Do you remember we were talking about dime bars last week? Yeah. It blokes a nutter. (laughs) And I said I, I I had notes of Harry Enfield. Yeah, and right, we're talking yeah. about dime bars. Yeah, it's there. It blokes a nutter. Dime bar from the ad. It's from the TV ad, yeah. Comedy gold. It is, yeah. I'm a spaz. <laughs> I don't remember that. It blokes a nutter. I'm a spaz. Dime bar. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of worried about Charlie Robinson, you know. Why is he ZL? I think there's just like year after year of, of deconstructing the uh, totalitarian takeover. It might be, uh, I think it might be starting to get to him. Well, I mean, you fly too close to the sun or something. <laughs> Who's got the biggest cock? Right. I don't know. Answers on a postcard. <laughs> Do you see this shit? Hold my bag, bitch. Spazzing on that ass. That's, that's a, that is a rich vein of sound bites from Charlie. Is that from one single episode? And uh, yeah, he, he even uh, he even telegraphed it. You know, this could be so great for me saying this, and then people cutting it up and using it for years and years. Ah, yes, it will be used for years and years. We'll put it on a t-shirt. I know it's uh, it's Willie G for you, isn't it? Willie G, who's got the biggest cock? Oh, Willie G. <laughs> Do you see this shit? It was massive. <laughs> Reported to have been a rod of God. <laughs> nice. The rod of God. Rod of God. Yeah. Party central. What are we going to do now? I don't know. 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 
I've got other stuff to do. Do we then? It's bank holiday. Oh my gosh. Shall we do some local cryptid news? How Did local? You... <laughs> In this room. <laughs> Bolton. Hmm? The mystery giant beast with growing, glowing red eyes. You know, there is a horror set in Bolton that is making waves on the terrestrial television channels at the moment. I forget what it's called. Red Rose, that's what it's called. Um, so not set at the Isle of Cox? Isle, Isle of Cox. Cox. No, it's, uh, it's set in Bolton. I don't know if this is related. I mean, there could be huge dog-like creatures running across all the fields in Bolton. Rivington Pike, though, that's, isn't that around where Ryan Seven's uh, mm. neck of the woods? I don't know. Uh, do you want to take us through the story rather than us calling out random things? I don't know the story. A mystery well, giant face with glowing red eyes terrifies UK town as dead sheep found. After finding the steaming remains of a dead sheep, one witness claimed he shone his light into the darkness and saw a dark, stocky shape with reddish eyes watching them. Uh, so, witnesses describe a huge dog-like creature running across fields at incredible speeds. Uh, villages in the Bolton area have dubbed the giant dog creature the Rivington Pike Beast. Uh, Sets prowl Winter Hill, home to the highest TV mast in the country. Wow, I can see that from my uh, my old bedroom. I can see it from my office. Um, so, this TV mast was attacking sheep and growling at hikers. <laughs> Uh, two men out hunting rabbits with air rifles found a dead sheep that was still steaming before hearing a rumbling, growling sound. They might have been hungry. Holy cow, there's, dead, there's oh, a an good picture of a dead sheep here with a hole inside of it. Yeah. <coughs> a bit like a torn-torn. Someone's uh, crawled into it for heat. Thought they smelled bad on so the outside. They were alarmed and shone their torches into the darkness. One of them claimed to see a dark, stocky shape with reddish eyes watching them. The other man shouted, We're going to need bigger guns! as they ran back to their car and drove away. The witness wow. said, The remaining sheep in the field have flocked together and looked scared and worried. Oh, they were acting really strange. The growling continued all through the event. It was a loud, rumbling, growling noise. Uh, last summer, a dad was driving his six-year-old son to school in Adlington when he spotted a huge dog-like creature running across the field at incredible speed. Oh, I Zeus! Pegs. Yeah. Zeusy! He's a dog-like creature. A dark Rottweiler or Bulldog and said it vanished in a flash. Wow, so we're talking interdimensional dogman here. Absolutely. A flash. I'm assuming a flash of light. <laughs> a flash of the old... Uh... Reported to have been a rod of God. Bazinga. Uh, he reported the sighting to the Winter Hill investigation team. Yeah, wow. He said, uh, do you see this shit? <laughs> <laughs> a local team investigating reports of the beast. We should get them on. I can't imagine they're very busy. Uh, he said it was the first time it had been seen in daylight. Wow. So there must be previous uh, sightings then. Yes. So it's the first time it's been seen in daylight. That's Not interesting. Oh, we're going to hear from uh, one of the lead investigators here. Uh, investigator Mick McLaren said <laughs> this one. I can't do it. I can't do another voice. What, where's he from? Is uh, he from Bolton? I think he might be Irish, maybe. This witness is different from the others. All the other witnesses have experienced hearing or seeing the beast or seeing our shine at night. <laughs> this is our first where our witness has seen in daylight what the beast looks like. 
<laughs> the uh, the legendary creature is also known as the Rivington Werewolf or Whoa! the Rivington Pike Berman. <laughs> I didn't know we had a Rivington Werewolf. Yeah. That's down the road. I know. It was massive. Limp Dick City. <laughs> oh, Limp Dick City. <laughs> wow. Good story. I like that one. That's it. It's like a bit of so many efforts. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. That's it. Giant dog-like creature growling at people. Big dog. Oh, what a fucking sports spot. Forget that. Not going to read the comments. No. Killjoys. I like that. Well, there we go. Yeah, a bit of local cryptid news. It's about time, isn't it? It is. Mm. It is. Party Central. Oh, it's Central. It's Cryptid Central at, at Rivington. That sounds of it. Rivington Pike Behrman. Fuck. Did you see that? Um, oh, Helen says, y'all, 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 Helen from Texas, it should be. Y'all need to go out on a live investigation. I mean, well, maybe we could, could take Ryan to the, uh, we'll go and look at the stones in the churchyard and then go um, dogman hunting. We're supposed to be yeah. going in Ben's caravan, aren't we? We oh, can yeah. go in my caravan, yeah. Yeah. Done. Okay. <laughs> right. That's, That's it. it. Settled then. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see this shit? Nope. Not yet. yet. Not yet. <laughs> cool, uh, good. Yeah, did you, you see... Think, uh, hmm? I'm just going to say, do you think? don't think we could park in the church car park? You park where you want, in the caravan, surely. That's the point of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. go to a, go to a mass and decode some uh, decode some church church symbolism while we're there. Why not? Exactly. Kill all a flock of birds with a, a single stone. Just do everything. One journey. Should we slay the Nubian lion? <sighs> I can't. No, you can't. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, me and Matt will do that. You can you can clear the stables. Thanks. <laughs> um, to, uh, did you see that story of that fucking massive python that slithered into someone's bedroom window after it got out? No. Oh, my oh, willy G. <laughs> you know, I'll have to check this one out. Snakes and ladders. Terrifying moment. Dangerous. Escape python tries to get into house through open bedroom window. And this is from the sun. Yeah. Yeah, snakes and ladders. Ooh. An escaped 18-foot snake sneaks into a house through an open bedroom window. The albino Burmese python was seen off by the occupants who used a broom to send it crashing onto a car below. I've got a few images here. There's the first one. Check this shit out. Look at the fucking size of that. Oh, that's Jesus. a big boy. Yeah, I mean, it's there, it's up, up on the roof, and then it's going in. Oh, God. Through the open window. And, uh, yeah, they twatted it with a broom, and it ended up landed on the car. Probably made a right mess at Kia. Yeah, yeah, would have yeah. <laughs> that snake oil oh. won't buff out. Did it survive? Uh, yeah, they're like indestructible beasts, man. Yeah, stomp it if one came in. 18 foot, it's going to eat you. Oh. A neighbour who used to own snakes then looked after it in her conservatory. She said, where are they from? Hunts. It's a dangerous snake and can turn nasty when hungry. I felt sick. There could have been a baby in there. 
in the snake. <laughs> it's a dangerous snake and it could turn nasty when hungry. I felt sick. There could have been a baby in there. Ah. What? So, when the snake woke, she called the owner who took it home in Chandler's Ford. Was, was her phone number written on the side of the snake? <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Yeah, it's out, it seems to me. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it had a collar on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where, how do you think that conversation went? You went, uh, yeah, your snake was trying to crawl into someone's house, so I pushed it off the roof. It was trying to eat my baby. Oof. Jenny Warwick, sixty-two, first noticed the enormous snake slithering across the roof of the houses opposite at around five thirty a.m. What were you doing, looking at your neighbours' houses at half five in the morning? Checking for snakes. Well, obviously. Yeah. My husband, she hates the snakes, but he couldn't get to her fast enough. It's it's not what you want to see first thing in the morning. I think it's very responsible to lay it loose. <laughs> Passers-by were horrified by the sight, and some even grabbed their dogs to keep them away from the 18-foot beast. I mean, it was on a roof, so probably wasn't going to get down to the dogs. The RSPCA's Evie Button said, Snakes are excellent escape artists and will take the opportunity of a gap in an enclosure door or a loose-fitting lid to make a break for it. Snakes become more active during the hot weather. Speedy. So we would urge... I can't fucking read that whole paragraph. So we would urge all pet snake owners to be extra vigilant at this time of year. Invest in an enclosure suitable for the particular species and make sure that enclosure is kept secure and locked. Fucking, it's a big enclosure for an 18-foot Burmese python, isn't it? And it needs to be 18 and a half foot long. Put <laughs> 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 in, in a used toilet, toilet rolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit of pipe. Capping at both ends, you saw it. Yeah, that won't drive it insane. That's why it's got on the fucking rampage, man. People should only consider keeping a snake if they can ensure they are fully able to provide for these needs. Uh, yeah, so and then she talks about corn snakes, which are, you know... Boring. Boring, three foot long. What? It's not even a snake, it's a worm. <laughs> I don't know. Journalists. I know. Oh, hey, nice. Snake. Got, um, got an interesting story from Weon, World in One News. World in One News. Palkishama <laughs> Upante. This is uh, this is weird, this one. And Matt, you should hear it this time. Yes. And before I begin the next story, I want you to watch a video and watch closely. I would say, really, if you have a secure face and you walk in it, I feel that your life will be full of joy and peace and love. And I would advise, I would really suggest that there's no other way. There's only one way, walk in it and keep walking on. This is Marina Smith. She's dead. She didn't look dead. But what you just saw was Marina Smith speaking at her own funeral. She also took questions from the mourners. The dead woman answered them at length. And none of it was recorded beforehand. 
very much again. How did becoming a grandparent change you? Oh, I think it brought immense joy into my life. So what just happened? This was artificial intelligence making an absolute mockery of the sanctity of death. This was artificial intelligence being creepy pro-Max. I was at my funeral. I'm so pleased that I met so many good people who influenced my life. And I had happy family life. I had a husband. And I feel my life was planned in that by the Almighty One. And I feel it's coming to conclusion under his guidance because my work here is completed. Marina Smith's son brought her back to life. He created this technology to laws creating a digital clone of a living person and then asking her a series of questions. Based on her answers, AI is trained to interact on her behalf. Basically replace her in death. Marina Smith was one of the first ones to use her son's creations. This is her in January, five months before her death. She devoted two whole days to answering questions, all sorts of questions. She sat in front of a webcam, feeding the AI with important details about her life. Marina died in June. But then she returned to speak at her own funeral. The mourners were reportedly shocked. I and did another even, thing. Did you even tell him? <laughs> they could have incorporated some fancy robotics and <laughs> well, open the coffin. The coffin that's, the, yeah. that's the next step, isn't it? It's uh, pretty weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where do I sign up? <laughs> Wonder why. Look at them. They're watching and they're interacting with the woman they have just put to rest. Am I the only one who finds this creepy? No. No. No, it's fucking weird. It is weird, but I want to do it a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. It is. Like the, uh, there was that Black Mirror episode, wasn't there? Yeah. San... San... Bernardino? That's a real place, isn't it? it? San San Bernardino? San Andreas. <laughs> <laughs> San Pellegrino. What, uh, Westworld's all been all about over the last few series, hasn't ah. it? Well, coming back after you're dead. Well, yeah, basically like copying your brain. Could and I then... come back as my younger <laughs> self? Uh, yeah. Could I come I think... back as anything I wanted? You're not coming back, though. Oh, yeah. This is a, a, a counterfeit, isn't it? Mm. This is this is the problem. So, mm. I mean, it's it's meaningless for the person who is recording themselves because you're dead. <laughs> right. So, what effect does it have on everyone else? I begin the next story. Serena Smith's son brought her back to life. He created this technology to laws creating a digital clone of a living person and then asking her a series of questions. Based on her answers, AI is trained to interact on her behalf. Basically replace her in death. Marina Smith was one of the first ones to use her son's creations. 
This is her in January, five months Are we watching it again? She devoted... I, because uh, I, for some reason, the way it set up, when I minimised the window, it didn't hold where I was paused to continue the clip. Uh, Sorry, I slight technical faux pas. What? I am trying. What is your sort code and account number? <laughs> You'd ask the AI. Wouldn't have the answer. Two whole days to answering questions, all sorts of questions. Coming to move it on. But then... She returned to speak at her own funeral. The mourners were reportedly shocked. Oh, this is where we are. Why? Look at them. They're watching and they're interacting with the woman they have just put to rest. Am I the only one who finds this creepy? This disturbing technology is now available for public use, which means the dead will soon frequently be speaking at their own funerals, which also means that some people will never get closure. If you've lost a loved one, you would agree with me when I say that one of the first stages of grief is denial. It is hard to come to terms with the fact that a living person is suddenly gone, that he or she is suddenly being spoken of in the past tense or is being called a body. It seems impossible to process this transition. So for the most part, we remain in denial. The problem with technologies like these is that they feed into that denial. They make you believe that the person is not really dead. Look, she's here. Look, she's talking to you, answering your questions. How could she be dead? Technologically, it's a remarkable feat. Full points for getting the dead to speak at their funeral. But what about those who are alive and those who are mourning the dead? What does it do to them? Well, asking the big questions. She's not too happy, is she? We on, we on lady. Hmm. Uh, it seems like this is where it's going. Uh, if you want to partake in it, um, hey, guess what? What have we been doing for the last five years? Oh, yeah, recording our um, mm-hmm. voices. Yeah, but uh, last time I checked, we're all alive. Well, yeah. It's yeah. not fake. It's not counterfeit. It's not what a computer thinks you might say. This is real. And uh, no AI, I don't care how fucking uh, advanced it is, will uh, replace that. No? No. Even if you've got the rod of God. Reported to have been a rod of God. Rod of God. No AI is going to predict that I'm just going to hit... Party Central. At that time, because... Well, no. Algorithm. It's like uh, with the... Did you see uh, Zuckerberg was on Joe Rogan this week? Was he? Talking about uh, Metaverse. Mm-hmm. It's all sort of similar, sort of... It's in the same milieu, isn't it? Yeah. Except there it will, be, it will be the living going into the Metaverse to die. <laughs> Essentially. Uh, yeah, because you'd be living... You know, I've had my sustenance in the Metaverse, so I don't need to eat anything <laughs> or go, leave my house. Well, you want to exist in this world, in the in the real world. You know, you, you'll just be on a drip or something and then you'll yeah. plug yourself in, like the Matrix, basically. Oh, yeah. Better That's, than life. Yeah, next, yeah. next level I mean, sweat lords. The sci-fi writers have been on this for fucking decades. Mm. And uh, you, it makes you wonder how much the real world is informed by sci-fi. Like, sci-fi gives them the ideas mm. and then they sort of uh, work on putting them into place. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, as in 1984. Quite interesting he had Zuckerberg on, to be honest with you. I suppose he's had Elon Musk on and stuff, hasn't he? He's had Jack Dorsey on. Mm. Twitter. 
Has he had John McAfee on? There's a there's a new documentary. Yeah. Darren and Graham have had him on. McAfee. We well, yeah. I asked him once, but I think he was uh it wasn't a good time. Doesn't sound like it was ever a good time. <laughs> if you go and go and listen to, if you're interested in John McAfee, um, uh, the conspiracy guys or those conspiracy guys interview with him. It's like twenty or thirty minutes, mm. and he's fucking off his head. Brilliant. He's just going <laughs> all the way through it. Basically, it's crazy. Wow. I'll listen to that. Mm. What time is it? Fucking hell, it's late. It's late. Mm-hmm. It's Sun's late. getting low. Oh, fucking quiet on the chat tonight. What's going on? Is it because it's a I bank holiday? No, it did. It, it picked up a little bit, didn't it? But nothing in the first half. No. Oh. Strange. Mm. Did you see uh, that? It was an interesting uh, statement by Rishi Sunak this week about the old coverts. Coverts. Oh yeah, he's, or did he kind of say that he made the wrong decision or something? No, he was he was painting himself as like the the one man he was trying to stop. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> Speaking out at sage meetings, isn't he? Sunak says it was a mistake to empower scientists during COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. Ex Chancellor admits being furious about school closures adding trade-offs of lockdowns were not properly considered by experts. No. Well, this isn't new, is it? I suppose he's saying it publicly. Rishi Sunak has claimed that it was a mistake to empower scientists during the coronavirus pandemic and that his opposition to closing schools was met with silence during one meeting. The Conservative leadership candidate... I mean, it's an interesting... Because, like, this came out earlier this week. He's dead in the water as far as the Conservative leadership goes. Is he? Yeah, he's done. He's, he's never going to... He's, he's oh, miles he's behind. It's going to be Liz Truss. Yeah. <coughs> According God. to the media reports, yeah, she's she's well ahead. Um, but it's wow. only like... How many people are voting for this? 100,000, Is that how many Conservative Party members, members are there? Something like that. Yeah. It's not a lot, is it? You think their, lead, their membership should be bigger? Oh, no, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's... N- well, I, I'm, what I'm, I'm saying is that I hope we all get to choose pretty soon after these lot have chosen, um, i.e. general election. But it's two years off, isn't it? Yeah, unless they, they call one, but they, they never would unless they were in a... They felt they were in a, a strong position. I don't think they do. Mm. No, they can't, really. The Conservative leadership candidate believes one of the major errors was allowing the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, SAGE, to have so much influence on decision-making, such as closing nurseries, schools and colleges in March 2020. Sunak also disclosed that he was banned from discussing the trade-offs of imposing coronavirus-related restrictions, such as missed doctor's appointments and NHS waiting list backlogs. In an interview with The Spectators that had been published on Sunday, I've not uh, read that yet, the former Chancellor said, we sh- uh, quotes, we shouldn't have empowered the scientists in the way we did, and you have to acknowledge the trade-offs from the beginning. If we'd done all of that, we could be in a very different place. We'd probably have made different decisions on things like schools. 
Do you remember the political pressure that was on them to lock down? Mm. Everyone in the country, it seemed, was calling for them to lock the country down. Mm. Started in uh, the Mediterranean, Europe, Italy. Well, it started in China, obviously, but then Italy, Spain, I think Greece, and then the Northern European countries started uh, locking down, obviously not Sweden. And it was like uh, the UK was one of the last holdouts and everyone was baying for it. We have to lock down. Yeah. Very I do true. remember that. I think it was yeah. political pressure as much as scientific pressure. And the, the straw that brought the camels back was uh, Neil Ferguson's Imperial College modelling of 520,000 deaths if we didn't lock down. Yeah, anyway, um, schools in the UK shut with the exception of those for looking after the children of key workers and vulnerable children. Some schools started to reopen in August 2020. Sunat's remarks came a few days after he praised British scientists and pledged to set up a multi-billion pound research programme if he became Prime Minister (laughs) (laughs) after the exclusion of British scientists from EU funding. Sunak said during one meeting he tried to voice his opposition to closing schools, saying he got very emotional about it. The former Chancellor added, I was like, forget about the economy. Dudes. Surely we can all agree that kids not being in school is a major nightmare. There was a big silence afterwards. It was the first time someone had said it. I was furious. This is interesting. He said that minutes from SAGE meetings were edited which resulted in opposing opinions being omitted from the final draft. Wow. That's um, an accusation and a half, that. It is, massive. You wouldn't imagine he would make that kind of accusation without having some summit to back it up. But he is a politician, so... Uh. (laughs) Those meetings were literally me around the table just fighting. (laughs) (laughs) It was incredibly uncomfortable every single time. Well, yeah. Shadow boxing. Sunak said sage advisors were unaware for a very long time that there was a treasury person on all their calls. He revealed that his treasury official briefed him on what was said during the meetings and what was omitted by telling him, actually, it turns out that lots of people disagreed with that conclusion, or here are the reasons that they were not sure about it. So, yeah, I need to read the, the full article. I just It seems a strange time to release the story mm. when he's, he seems to be dead in the water or is it just going to be part of this milieu that we're going to get over the next few years where they start roll, sort of rolling back mm. the uh, the narrative that like I said right at the beginning it might take five years but it'll go lockdowns will go down as the biggest public health on goal in, in history yep. and maybe this is the start of the process I don't know Time will tell. I don't know. Why are we having 18,000 excess deaths a week at the moment, man? I saw that on the, on the news. Did it, what did you see on the news? It was on the radio. They were talking about it. Um, they were saying about... I think they were trying to explain it away, but I was driving at the time, so I think... What, do you remember what channel it was on? Radio 4, it would have been. So it could even have been um, more or less... So BBC? Yeah, BBC, yeah. Of course. Uh, I mean, the thing is, you can't avoid it. The, well, they can't avoid it. Uh, we shouldn't have excess deaths in summer, for a start. And you know when you really don't get excess deaths? 
when everyone's immortal. After, After a, a fucking pandemic. Ah, uh, yes. You, we should be having below excess deaths because everyone died prematurely, didn't they? Isn't that what we've been told for the last two years? Mm. Oh, I remember now. I think they were they were tying it to something to do with like hospital waiting times. Yeah. Um. And having had experience of that recently, I'm waiting 17 hours in A and E. It's a fucking nightmare. Let me tell you. I can believe that's a component. Um, why are we having excess deaths in adolescence? It's across the age age ranges. That's the other thing. Too many glass cups in anuses. Let's hope so. Spazzing on that ass. <laughs> I know. Yeah, climate change. That's what it is. Helen's nailed it. I, th- I thought that had gone away now. Climate dick. Di- climate dick. <laughs> Limp dick city. That climate change is going to go away for a bit because we need to burn coal, otherwise everyone can't afford power or something. It's definitely going to go away for a bit, 100%. And they'll say, oh, it's because we're rolling back green levies or something. And the green levies make up next to nothing of uh, your bills now. It's, It's all gas wholesale prices. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a bit of a mess. I'm wondering what they're going to do. Yeah, I'm really uh, interested. I believe the energy companies have come together with a proposal and uh, they're saying to the government, um, we want £100 billion and we will, we will freeze the prices where they are now for the next 18 months. That's on the table. It's only three track and traces. Now. Oh, yeah, where they are now. Well, because you know where they're going, man. Know, They're yeah. going up three more than threefold. The Cornish, um, I can't remember what it's called, it's a Cornish uh, market analysis company that were predicting 7,000-something in April for a year's gas and electric. Mm. Just put that, if you're a high-rate taxpayer, that's over 16 grand of your salary. Do you know what now would be a, perhaps seen as a good time to introduce... Culling? A, a universal basic income. Well, you know. Right? You can't introduce a UBI of like a £1,000 a month when that's enough to live on. Because people would just say, well, fuck it, I'll put my feet up, and that's fine. And then the economy would, would suffer for that. But if you put the prices... Well, not that I'm saying you, they've put the prices of everything up, but if prices of everything go up so that having a £1,000 a month as your starting rate isn't enough to pay your gas and electricity, but it would help you along, you still have to have a job, then the economy's not going to be as inf- as impacted and you can reduce your benefits bill because you get rid of all universal credit, all benefits, but just pay this base rate UBI to everyone. I don't know. That's that's just a... Yeah. Well, that's, that's the dream, isn't it? To get You get your own UBI... Well, and then you, you know better than a slave. So you, you know it's too expensive for you to make your own w- way in the world. Yeah, you know if your first seventeen grand of your salary has to pay gas and electric, good luck with that. So who knows what they're going to do? Um, it seems like the government aren't buying this. It'll be a hundred billion up front, and then we, the uh, what would you call us, the, the customer. Plebs. 
the plebs a bonus, the customer will pay a um, like a, a tax, basically an energy tax going forward for the next twenty years. I think. Oh, Hooray! <laughs> I was like, well, what happens if the prices don't go down after eighteen months? And what if the wholesale price continues to go up? Then all the either the government lends them more money or all the energy firms go bust. That's what happened. Do you remember all the energy firms going bust like six months ago? Mm. That was because of the price cap. Because mm. these companies had bought the energy when it was massive, you know, when it, the wholesale price was huge, and then they were having to sell it on a loss. Mm. Get some solar panels installed. Yeah, the fucking uh, what? Did, what did uh, what did Charlie say? Limp Dick City. No, let them eat Teslas. Let them eat Teslas. Yeah. Uh, you can't afford milk. Buy a cow. Yeah. How small is the smallest nuclear reactor? <laughs> <laughs> Probably the one they'll send to Mars. That'll have to be small. Hey, yeah. Surely you can get one that fits in your garage now and. Like, just does a couple hundred kilowatts. It's fine. I don't want any more kids. It's fine. It fries my balls. Well, it's just have a lead line. Carriage. Central. <laughs> just put it in a steel cup. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, name for the... I'm going to aim for the prostate in <laughs> the men. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we're spent. Yeah, we'll, we'll solve all this over the next few weeks on the Amish Inquisition. Well, ah. Oh. Oh my gosh, yeah. Let's go quick before we start talking about Germany and what's going to happen to them in the winter. <laughs> right, should we go? Yes. You Goodbye ent- and ent- good health. You entertained? Are you not entertained? Yes. Good. I love you. Right, we'll see you next week. We're going to have a party. We'll be here on Saturday. Big party. Yes. Okay. Epic dub. It's our coming of age party. Thank you for watching. Thank you. you. See you later. Goodbye. Limp dick city. Spazzing on that ass. Don't you take it out of I'm a spaz. Hold my bag, bitch. Oh my god, he's wiping his ass. Like a judgment day in Terminator, mostly. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Eh, blokes and nutter. I'm a spaz.